Up next, it's Real Talk with Rodney Hyde on RCR Reality Check Radio. Good morning, everyone. You're on Reality Check Radio. It's Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. Lovely to have you along. And we've got a wonderful morning lined up. But first, remember, send me an email, please, inbox at realitycheck.radio or text at 2057. Today, we've got Chris Woodney. We're pursuing hemp. I'm finding this fascinating, the whole ins and outs of government regulation of what the hemp industry is, what it could be, and what the heck is going on when we can't grow a product. You're going to find this quite an extraordinary and entertaining story, but a little bit upsetting. And then we've got Joe Mackey along, lovely geologist, and we talk geology, we talk farming. But most of all, we talk about climate change and what is going on with this whole argument that, like, we should grow trees and bury them at sea or something, bury them in the ocean to sequester CO2. What on earth is going on? Uh, We find out from Joe. You're going to love the show. Get somewhere comfortable. Keep working. Listen in. Thank you for being here. What I want to achieve with RCR is conversation. And I think we have lost the art of conversation. With RCR, I just hope that people can learn that we can all be different, we can have our own opinions, have our own views, and have those conversations in a respectful way. Because respect needs to be given, it needs to be earned, and I think that we can prove that people of all diverse perspectives, ages, opinions, can have a platform, and we can work and talk together. And so that's what I hope we get to achieve with RCR. Just independent thought alternative thought and I I expect that I will be castigated by many people for offering different opinions but you know as I've said before there is no such thing as a wrong opinion opinions are like noses everybody's got one the exchange of views fair debate no cancelling no interrupting no aggressive responses we want to hear what people have to say Whatever side you're on, and the listener, the consumer, with that information, can make of it what they will. That is the mission. It's a good mission. Thanks for tuning in to RCR, Reality Check Radio. If you like what you're listening to, or even if you don't agree with what you're listening to, then get in touch with us now. You can text us with your message to 2057, that's 2057. Or if you'd rather email us, you can at inbox at realitycheck.radio. We would love to hear from you, so get in touch with us now. This is Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. Tuesdays and Thursdays from 10 a.m. You're on Reality Check Radio. It's Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. Thank you for joining us. And we've got a we've got a great uh, interview coming up. I'm very excited by this one. Uh, but before we're getting into that, don't forget, you can send me a text at 2057. Uh, send me an email at inbox at realitycheck.radio. I have to say, I love doing the radio. I have never felt more liberated. I have never felt more free. If 
funny enough, we used to be free and liberated like this, but you don't appreciate it until you've been locked up and you get your freedom. And man, don't you feel as though as New Zealanders, we've all been a bit locked up in what we can say, what we can think, um, what we can talk about. But here we are on Really Check Radio, able to speak our minds. My goodness, that's freedom. That's liberating. Uh, we have got coming up Chris Woodney. I have been contacted since I had this revelation about the hemp industry by a lot of people uh, with a long history of trying to get hemp up and running in New Zealand. And like I said, uh, I I had a negative view of hemp, but that's been radically changed by these discussions. And we're now joined with a man who has been through the mill uh, with government and government regulation on hemp. And he's going to explain it to us in some detail. Chris, good morning. Morning, Rodney. How are you? Well, I'm never better. I um I don't ski. I've never had skis on my feet before in my life. Um, but I ski the ski season opened in Caronet Peak on Friday. And I took my kids up at the weekend and they went skiing, and it, it's very limited because there's a big inversion layer below the mountains, which is trapping the cold air, which meant I could sit at the bottom and see my kids' skis because they were just down the bottom. And there's nothing more pleasurable than watching young kids ski around a field and have so much fun. It's like um, Disneyland, but sort of continuous, just the joy of people skiing. I had no idea how much fun people take out of it and the atmosphere, so I loved it. Yeah, it's very much the same with surfing. I just um, taught my, I've been on the road for 18 months and taught my daughter to surf over that time. And she, I can't get her out of the water now. So, you know, just, just, uh, we had some options to be down by a ski field or out by a coast. And I, I can tell you now, she chose the coast in a heartbeat. So, yeah. Well, yeah, I guess surfing, you're, you're warm and you can put a wetsuit on, but skiing <laughs> can get cold. But no, I think it is. And isn't it wonderful to see children enjoying, uh, the natural world uh, and the physical world, surfing or skiing and playing sport compared to what all our kids want to do and can get addicted to doing, and that's watching screens. Yeah, it's very, it's, um, it's very, very enjoyable to watch, watch the kids out in the water and, you know, just watch them taking in nature and stuff like that. I mean, it was, you know, I've got to admit, that um, prior to being on the road, we were sort of falling into that trap as well mm. um, of, of a lot of screen time. Um, in some respects, it's really good. Like she gets, uh, you know, some some good stuff off, off screen. She loves to do arts and crafts so she can follow other people and stuff like that. But um, I just don't think you can beat that sunshine and fresh air and salt, you know. it's How it's, old is she? She's 12. Ah, same as my yeah. oldest one. No, it's um... – Everyone falls into the trap of too much screen time and because you have to be, you don't want to deny them the opportunities of computers and the internet, but it's very easy and we do it all the time is that it sort of becomes a babysitter while you're doing something else. And, um, we notice as our kids, as they as they do more screen time, they become less social and more cranky. And after a weekend skiing, 
they were just so joyful to have around and they didn't need screen time. It's a it's a tough, tough thing as a parent. It's like not something we have ever experienced before, is it? You know, we didn't have it as kids. Nah, and I find it's, it's quite ironic that it's the information age and yet we find so many people misinformed. Um, yes. You know, it, it's... Yes. You know, it's um, it's awesome to find Reality Check Radio, actually. Um, I didn't know of it until somebody posted online about, you know, somebody coming on about hemp, and then I started to listen to a few more of your programs from other other um, hosts and things like that, and just such a great platform. I, I um, decided to get in contact with yourself and, and sort of share my story about hemp and... Mm and those sorts of things. So what you guys are doing is really cool. And I believe that, you know, the more people that listen, the more people get informed. Um, maybe, you know, maybe just maybe that people are going to sort of start to understand what's going on a little bit better. Well, I've learned more on this radio station <laughs> <laughs> than I have at any other time in my life. Um, and, I knew nothing of hemp other than that Nandor Tanchos was in favour of it, so I assumed it was bad and for dope smokers with Rastafarian dreadlocks. And, But more particularly, I was aware of the things that we were being misled about by the media and by government officials, but I hadn't realised that it's almost everything, if you know what I mean. That yeah. what I knew of hemp was sort of what you sort of pick up in the ether or by osmosis, and it's like a narrative, just like you pick up a story about our oh, COVID vaccines, lockdowns, or climate change, scary end of the world, don't drive your car. These sort of things that we come to believe are true because it's just in the news, and and you realise that your views are being assigned to you sort of by how the news is framed and told. Television programming. Yeah. And we're programmed in the same way you program a television. What I'm loving, I'm just loving Twitter and I'm loving, I, I don't follow Joe Rogan. I know of him and I've heard some of his, his um, great interviews, but I'm loving that uh, RFK Jr., is running for president that he went on with Joe Rogan. I think that's going to, ch- and, and Elon Musk came out and supported it. I think that's going to change the world. I just, I actually, funny you should say that. I actually listened to that podcast yesterday um, with RFK Jr. on it. And, you know, what a man. I mean, what an, a environmentalist, man. an environmentalist. I mean, everybody, you know, in 18 years, nobody in their right mind has decided to debate the man no. because he is just so on point with everything he knows, the retention of knowledge that he has, the understanding of what's going on. Really good point that he pointed out on that was that there's only two countries in the world that allow pharmaceutical companies to advertise their products on television, and that's New Zealand and America. Isn't that crazy? And, and, he, I, and- was, he was quite interesting when he said that the pharmaceutical companies actually – have encompassed the regulatory framework. Yes, they've used it. That, well, it's it's. I liken politics to a sailing race. Um, 
if you've got a good tactician, you never get rid of them. You can change your skipper anytime you want. The person who steers the boat, they are MPs, right? But the back line, that that tactician is the yeah. is the bureaucrats. It's the yeah. it's those people oh, in the back that, that never change. And and that's yeah. really where you know, we looked at, you may have seen in the papers about the unchecked lobbying industry in New Zealand yes. and so on and so forth the last few months. And you really have to look at that back line, you know. I mean, wouldn't it be great if the political party actually took out all the back bureaucrats and brought in new bureaucrats with them so that yeah. those bureaucrats supported their their policies? I think well, that's, that could be the way forward. Because that's how the American system operates. I think when there's a change of president, 5,000 people lose their jobs. Mm. And in New Zealand, um, we're in the Westminster system, and the bureaucracy sails on, Mm. which does give some continuity, which in itself is a good thing. But they end up the powerful ones. I was a minister, and you became very conscious very quickly how much you depended on your ministry and in particular your chief executive who's directing your ministry to keep you alive, right? Yeah, your advisors, right? Yes, because you're getting, they keep, you kept constantly busy and then you're getting asked questions and what to do here and you have these officials who are, quote, experts but they've been around a long time, and so they're across everything. And so you end up that you can't annoy them too much because they could literally get rid of you, right, just by feeding you a wrong answer or, yeah, be very subtle. Mm. Um, And, of course, they can make your life easy or they can make your life hard. And you realize that you're in this collaborative um, relationship, even though – they are a big part of the problem that you're trying to deal with. Um, And you can also see that they have an agenda and they ratchet their agenda because they have their agenda and they say, well, that's something that a Labour Green government would go for. This is something (laughs) a Labour Maori party would go for. This is something that a National Act party would go for. And who's ever in power, their agenda um, continues to be implemented. Um, Richard Preble said to me when I first came to Parliament, he said, uh, when you're outside Parliament, you regard uh, Yes Minister as a comedy. And he said, then when you become an MP, you see it as a documentary. And he said, when you become a minister, you realize it's a tragedy mm-hmm. because, you know, they literally do run it. And um, it's extraordinary. You're the, you're the elected official. You know, you're, you're the one that the public has elected to, to yeah. you know, bring in yeah. change and, and do the best yeah. by the, the collective public. But you are hamstrung in what you can do. Mm. Um, and, you know, it goes all the way right through to, you know the ombudsman's office. Yep. You know, with with him, we've tried every avenue to yeah. to wake to really wake people up. And I think, and for of me, course, the the issue that you're having with hemp is a microcosm of issues that people are having with everything. If mm. you know what I mean, it 
It's um, across the board, and we're not having a, a genuine discussion and a genuine debate and a genuine change. And particularly these days, because the media is even more hollowed out than it ever was. But like I said, and you said coming into this with Twitter, with Joe Rogan, with Tucker Carlson, um, Elon Musk, these men, and you know, they're the three that spring to mind, they are making a difference. Certainly are. They're they're sharing not, you know, sharing honest factual um yeah. science, data, information. And, you know, I think for us in New Zealand, we do need a platform like that um mm. and you know reality check radio is one of those platforms well you're very kind let's get into it how did you first get interested in hemp were you a toker i look i mean i'm not going to deny that fact yes i've always been a well when you said surfing you sort of gave it away a bit didn't you <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean i've always i've always um used cannabis in a sense rather than uh you know, heavy use of alcohol, but I think there's there's a lot of stigma that goes with being a toker. Um, you know, people think that you know they're just the deadbeats of society, but that's that's totally untrue. I think um, many people in many powerful positions have used cannabis for many years. Um, mm. They just haven't been, or haven't had the gall or the balls to admit it. Sorry, um, but you know, there's top athletes are using it for recovery. Um, just to relax and unwind. Um, well, you, know, you have just been for a run, yep. you told me. You look disgustingly fit and healthy. <laughs> so, um, well, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you why. In the 18th of February last year at the protests, I decided to go for a swim in the Wellington Wharf and dropped dead of a heart attack. No. Yeah. Yeah. Just so happened that there was an off-duty nurse and a fireman and I was outside the climbing wall on the wharf, and they had an AED to shock me back into life. Um, they brought me back into Jeez. rhythm on the wharf, and I had to be paddled eight times to be brought back to life. I spent you were dead. Yep, three weeks in the. I saw my father prior to it happening. So, I mean, you know, I can understand my mum. I'd, <clears throat> I'd, I'd uh, text my mum or rung my mum and said, "I've just seen dad," and my dad's been dead at that time for about two years. So she told I was on drugs. And so when they rung her and said he's had a heart attack, she said, oh, he could be on drugs and stuff like this. But, yeah, I, um, I had a lot of stress going on in my life. Um, you know, I don't claim to be a saint. I sort of abused drugs and alcohol through that stressful period. Um, and so, yeah, I've really, you know, I've just been discharged from the hospital and don't have to go back to the hospital for ECGs anymore and stuff like that. I'm off all my medications bar aspirin. So, so yeah, it really turned my life around. Wow, that's extraordinary. So just explain this to me. You're a surfer. You're at the protest. It's warm, a warm day, and you decide to go for a swim? So, yeah, so I um, actually before it happened, I don't, I can't, I remember bits and bobs, and I remember, I remember the big uh, monument in 
Parliament being covered with a thing of Bob Marley and one love. And then I had this epiphany of that's not love for everyone else. That's self-love. That That's the, the first step of actually, you know, I had all these epiphanies. I saw my father. Um, and then I just drove around and I remember asking God for forgiveness. Um, it was quite, quite, you know, quite holistic. Um, and then I jumped off the wharf. Remember the bubbles coming up around my head. And apparently I climbed out on, off the ladder on the wharf and fell forward and knocked myself out. So that's why I don't have too many brain uh, issues from the lack of oxygen because my brain had obviously gone into a protective state. Um, and, yeah, just – just So you dropped. got out of water on your own? Yep. And do yep. you think you had your heart attack when you're out of the water? Yeah, so I think according to the cameras on the wharf, I clutched my chest and fell forward and knocked my head on the seat. And had you been religious before this? Um, look, I grew up a Catholic and, and things like that, but no, I'd never really been religious in that sense. Um, you know, uh, I sort of understand that, I, you know, there is a spiritual side to life, um, whether it's God, whether it's Muhammad. I, you know, I just I, I don't know. Um, I do know that there is a, a spiritual side to life and there's something there that you have to tap into. Um, and that's yourself, your inner self. I think that's your, you know, we're all created in the likeness of God, they say, and and inside, you know, one of the things I took was the first, the path to salvation is to step inward, um, you know, start looking at you and start looking at the, the things you've done wrong, taking responsibility for them um, and making the subtle changes. I think I learned that, um, you know, it's like two parallel lines. If you, you change one line by just a fraction of a degree, that can become such a massive uh, gap as you go through time. So that's all I've, I've been doing is, um, you know, getting up and getting up every morning before I do anything. I go and do some exercise and and look after myself, you know. Um, and, and How really old are you? 46. Wow. That's young, right? And you hadn't had the jab? No, I never, never had... Um, the vaccination mainly because I've done a lot of study and a lot of research and and the not in the, the area of vaccinations but I'd been doing a lot of study with different you know um, PubMed articles and stuff like that and mm. for me it was for me it was a a vaccination was they put the virus into you and then you know a small part of the virus into you and then let your body build an immunity to it whereas this one was putting something into you that was instructing your body to make something, the spike protein, and then yeah. asking the body to defend against it, which to me the logic just didn't make it's sense. Same. Same. I've never been, a, never been anti-vax, so I was no, waiting for same. a subunit protein vax, which was what all of our other vaccines were based on, so I think it was the Novavax that was due to come out. Um, so I was waiting for that. Um, you, know, I, you know, And then I started, well, now, I mean, looking at, you know, RFK Genius podcast with Rogan and stuff. Yes. <laughs> Looking at the mercury and causing of autism and just all of this stuff. All of it. it. I, mean, I was the same. Anti, I, I was the same. It just didn't pass the sniff test, like at that rudimentary level. Yeah. Uh, so my thing was, oh, so I get this, and then my buddy starts making spike protein. Uh, how much does it make? Where does it go? Um and then how can you know it's safe after three? It was just when it didn't exist a year ago. The th it didn't 
And then when they got more and more hysterical about taking it, and when when they got to the bullying stage, you're thinking, this just doesn't add up. And so I couldn't claim to be an expert or know the data. It just didn't pass a basic sniff test. And I thought, well, I also had another thing because I'm I'm old and listeners will be surprised by this. I, I'm overweight. And I thought, well, I'm the key category of this, but I'd rather die of COVID a <laughs> hundred times over, if you like, than die of something I took, because that would be stupid. You know, I understand about getting old, getting the flu, and it knocks you over. But to take something that makes you sick, that would really, really annoy me. So I decided that even if it was 100 to 1, I'd take my chances with the disease and my body defending myself rather than to take some government-mandated shit-made who-knows-where for what purpose. So that's where I landed in the finish. I think the red flag for me was the the inability of the company that produced it being liable for yeah. for you know for yeah. when when that sort of came out I you know yeah. that was a huge red flag. They, uh, <laughs> but, yeah, the the prime ministers the prime minister saying it's safe and effective. Meanwhile, so you're in good health now. Well, good for you, and you've got a twelve year old daughter. Imagine that you could have missed her. Yeah, and that's that's the thing. I mean, you realise that if you don't look after yourself, you can't look after them. And you know, that's that again. When it comes back to Bob Marley being one love, is that you know, if if everybody really took that inward step and looked after themselves and made themselves happy, then the world would be a happier place, right? Yes. Well, that's a wonderful story, and I'm um, I hope people don't mind me getting sidetracked, but you are inspirational because. It often takes a shock like that to wake us up, but it shouldn't. And um, hopefully you've given me a shock. Um, so thank you for that. And you think about your life a bit differently. Tell me how you got involved in hemp. Yeah, so hemp, um, originally um, I watched a, uh, I watched a documentary called The Hemp Revolution way back when Nando Tanchos was in Parliament. And mm -hmm. and then I started realizing, hey, this hemp thing. But you know, being a surfer with a big purple three fifty Chev Bedford van and stuff like that, um, you were a bit of a bit of a target. So I really, you know, I watched that, and and I sort of knew deep down that there was another thing behind this plant. Um, and then in two thousand and fifteen, my sister was given two weeks to live um, with acute lymphoblastic leukemia, um, and another. My best mate, who's my daughter's godfather, was very sick as well um, with Crohn's disease. And the information age was about us, and I started researching cannabis and cannabinoids and CBD and all this other stuff started to come to light. Um, so I had sort of started to sort of apply to the Ministry of Health in 2014 for a licence. So being uh, a father, a, a business owner, um, I had a liquor. I had a liquor license, a manager's licenses, a firearms license, all of these things. I didn't want to do anything illegal um, publicly. I mean, you know, having a joint on the beach was <laughs> nobody's going to worry about it. But if I started to put myself out there publicly about this, I wanted to have all my bases covered. So I, so with my sister getting um, 
cancer, I remember my mother asking me, could it help? And um, before I could tell her, you know, it could, um, but there was not a product on the market. So there was no medicinal cannabis on the product on the market. So somebody with such a compromised immune system couldn't go on the street and get some cannabis to help them um, just for the fact that they were so immunocompromised. So didn't know somebody sneezed on it, coughed on it, you know, various of other things. Uh, this doctor jumped in and started telling me all this just this medical stuff that I just had, you know, just had no idea what he was talking about. And I felt really embarrassed that I couldn't I couldn't actually get my point across or get my my view heard. Um and then I went downstairs to my mate who was in the gastro uh, ward and he was coming off methadone. I'd forgotten to give him his methadone and he was in methadone withdrawal. Um and I just, at that point, I had a breakdown in the Auckland Hospital car park and I said, you know, what are you going to do about this? Are you going to sit by and do nothing or are you going to try and do something to make a difference? And so that started my journey. Um, I went, I was re- renovating my hostel. So what I'd do was I'd go to all these PubMed articles and I'd highlight all the texts and I'd have my smartphone speak it to me and to my earphones. And I might be ADHD here. That could be through to my use, but I'd have it on one and a half times the speed. So I'd just listen to all of these. And then all of a sudden, all of these things started to fall into place. So all these articles, you start to hear the same sort of repetitive things like the cytokine storm, um, you know, uh, the P450, um, where all of our drugs are processed, all of, all of these real complex sort of uh things started to make sense to me and then you know i found out about the internal cannabinoid system that we have this endogenous um endogenous meaning sort of internal cannabinoid system that's responsible for maintaining homeostasis throughout 11 of our major functions in the body um you know cannabinoids are found in carrots they're found in other other things as well but most prevalently in in cannabis and um, so I started my journey. I, I have been working with the Hemp Foundation as the Director of Research since 2017. I get that, but I want to go back to your sister and your friend. Oh, okay. Um, so my sister um, was basically very sick, and thanks to you know medical marvels being stem cell transplants, that's what saved her life. Um, she, she survived. Yep, she survived. She had a stem cell transplant. Um, I went to the hospital. I wasn't a match. My sister wasn't a match. So they flew to Germany and got some stem cells from Germany. Um, and that's what saved her life. Um, after the stem cell transplant, she had graft versus host. And I knew the benefits of hemp seed. So I'd send, at that stage, we could only sell it as animal food. So yeah. I'd send her whole heaps of hemp seed. And she, you know, she loved it. And that's where I developed my balm as well. Um, through the chemo, her shoulders were burning, um, and I made this root balm from the roots of the plant and rubbed it onto one shoulder, and she just she was amazed by it. However, with my sister, she was a nurse in the prison, and I didn't know if cannabinoids, cannabis, could go through the skin and into the blood. I get so detected. Yes, get detected. So she was very reluctant um, to do that. Um, on the other hand, uh, my best mate was sent home methadone, methotrexate, gabapentin, a raft of pharmaceutical drugs 
sent home to die. He was 52 kilos, basically. They said he wouldn't he wouldn't make it through um, two months. Um, so he'd been a meth addict? No. No. No, he had Crohn's. Methadone is for pain. So he had actually ah, developed. So through his pain, through his, he was actually what they call a um, – uh, so, so he became addicted to the opiates through his pain medication. Because yeah. of it, because he was, I mean, his pain scale to us, you know, what what we would discover pain, we would be bent over and absolutely crippled by it. This guy will go out and chop firewood because he's just worked with pain so much in his life. So they took him off the opiate drugs and put him onto methadone because, um, you know, that was a, a better relief of pain. So basically, he was. Uh, on methadone for pain and, and sent home with all of these other drugs to make him comfortable as he went through in stages of life. Um, so they gave him two months. Um, I, I got in contact with him. He said he needed some help. And I said, look, I know what I'm doing, but I make no promises. And that's how I named, that's what I named my product, No Promises, because of the um, laws where you're not allowed to make claims or anything like that. Um, so... I started making products for him, solely for him, um, and figured out that we have something in us called stealth microbes. And these stealth microbes wait for a trauma. Um, and during that trauma, they hijack the immune signaling pathways and they start to send um, signals to the immune system imitating inflammation. So... These are a microbe that feed off that inflammatory response by the immune mm -hmm. system. So basically turning the, the immune system onto autopilot. Um, and they scavenge these nutrients from you. So then people with autoimmune disease end up getting lethargic. They don't, you know, he, they were giving him 100% nutrition through a, what they call total patient nutrition, which is a line into his, into his body. And they would feed him at night. And he was not putting on weight. So I said to him, look, we need to, upregulate or downregulate what the immune system is doing, and that's what cannabinoids can do. So we started on a um, a program with him. I developed different things for him, balms, um, whole plant oils, capsules, and the turnaround was amazing. We ended up presenting. No yeah, so from 52 kilos, he'd put on 18 kilos. He'd come off all his allopathic medicines and was only taking what I was giving him. Um, Allopathic, what does that mean? So pharmaceutical. Okay. Yeah. So he said, I said to him, do you want to come with me and make a presentation to the medical cannabis submissions in Parliament? And he said he'd do it if he was, you know, um, off all drugs. And we did. And we presented to them that, you know, cannabis and cannabinoids in the diet is the fence ring around the top of the cliff and medicinal marijuana as the sort of the ambulance at the bottom. So I've always maintained that cannabinoids should be dietary, um, looking back and, over history. understanding this, what you were giving him didn't have, for want of a better word, the hallucinogenic, the drug part, it doesn't have the THC. Uh, no, or has very little. That, that's not true. Okay. Um, yeah, so that's not true. So THC, so many people are scared of THC and they think it's gonna okay. they're gonna make it's gonna make them silly. 
Um, THC is required, especially when you're looking at combating pain because yeah. um, it goes across the blood-brain barrier so fast. It's, it's one, of the, one of the most amazing um, molecules to go across the blood-brain barrier so, so quickly. Um, uh, so we were, having, we were using THC in a sense to stop him with pain because mm-hmm. um, he was in a lot of pain. He was obviously on methadone. So as he'd reduce on the methadone, we'd increase, okay. you know, what we were doing. Um, and uh, so I used everything for him because there was... Nothing to there, lose. I had nothing. Yeah, he had nothing to lose. I had nothing to lose either. Um, and he's my daughter's godfather. So she had told me, you know, I think she was bloody... What was she then? She was only about five. And she said, you know, you've got to help him. So... So I did, and um, you know he's alive to this day, and he's still chopping firewood, and he's he's working, and um, and things like that. So firsthand experience for me was was it's dramatic, was amazing. Um, well, however, you've given us the- so many dramatic personal stories this morning. <laughs> how was the reaction of the health committee? Look, I think um, there was a there's a big. It was a big mix-up in, in, in the House Select Committee. The Select Committee was, were amazed at what we'd done. Um, the doctors and nurses, the nutritionists were amazed. I mean, what, what had happened is it, this is a guy that was not putting on weight at all, um, and they couldn't figure it out why he wasn't, whereas I'd figured out it was a stealth microbe scavenging, scavenging his nutrition. So when the immune, when we started putting cannabinoids in the diet, the immune system downregulated the inflammatory response and upregulated a natural killing response. And, and essentially all that did was realize that, hey, this is an inflammation. This is a microbe. Let's start killing the microbe. And once they started once once his immune system started killing the microbe, then he got better and put on weight. So, you know, a lot of people say cannabis kills cancer, it does all this amazing stuff. Well, I say that the human body was designed perfectly and it's designed perfectly to heal itself if you give it the right tools. Um, mm. But if you don't give it the right tools, if you, you know, if you don't look after it, then it's, of course, you're going to have, have problems. Um, and we know so very little about the body and its systems, don't we? You know, like the immune system isn't a mechanical thing that you push this lever and that happens. It's a very, very complex molecular interaction with living things, with chemicals, and we play with it, uh, with drugs at our peril, yeah. um, I think. And then even you saying about these good microbes and back, bad microbes, we're only just discovering about the role that microbes play in our body, aren't we? Yeah, it's always been concentrated on cell health and, and, and cellular on a cellular level. Now we're starting to get into a microbial level, yeah. um, gut microbes, all yeah. of these things. Um, and, and so Crohn's disease is, for a simpleton like me, is some gut imbalance in the microbes you're suggesting, potentially, Making no medical claims. <laughs> no, no medical claims. And, and everything and, I talk and, about today is, is personal opinion and personal yeah, theory. Of um, course. Put, in, put into practice. So, and, you know, and, I don't claim to know that I'm right or but, I'm wrong, but these no. are just what's worked for what the people I love. And, yeah. and, and, then, 
so that's how you're seeing it as a, a, a microbe upset, and then that creates an autoimmune upset. It turns the so yeah, so it's a microbe, it's a stealth microbe yes. that in your gut. It could be anywhere. Okay. There's, you know, stealth microbes could be anywhere. I won't go into how they were developed because then we'd be going back to the 50s and what happened in Canada and okay. all sorts of crazy stuff, but we're not going to go into that. But um, these microbes are everywhere. Um, and, uh, you know, we've got them lying dormant in our body. So if we have a trauma then the microbe sees an opportunity to hijack the signaling pathway to the immune system and say, hey, we're inflammation. And so the body is so concentrated on stopping inflammation that it will devout everything to, you know, calming inflammation. Yes. And and so when we've got this inflammatory response from the immune system that is trying to calm inflammation, whereas these microbes, when are feeding off that inflammatory response and just multiplying. So the the feeding off the and they're just multiplying and multiplying. And, okay. So that's a and I, I I can and you said that the nutritionists and the doctors were amazed by your friend's turnaround. Yes. They understood what you'd done. No. Ah. Because no. what you'd done was illegal. Well, no, what I'd done is just what I'd done is I'd done so much research and I'd highlighted what I believed was causing his issues of but they didn't they didn't know that he'd been taking cannabinoids. Yes, they did know okay. he'd taking cannabinoids, yep. And did they attribute his turnaround to that? I'm not sure. I, I, I couldn't answer for them, I couldn't speak for them. Okay. They didn't say, Well, wow, that's I amazing. What, I know what he thinks. <laughs> yeah. And and so you've got this. I can imagine that you're a medical expert and you could be in practice or advising MPs and you say, well, that's an anecdote, right? That's a personal story. This is a guy who's done his, quote, own research, end quote, and we've done statistical analysis, peer-reviewed, in these pharmaceutical journals, and we reach this conclusion. And I would have to tell you that three years ago, I would have said, yeah, 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 absolutely, that guy got a lucky break. Um, what would what would this guy, wouldn't he know? Um, yeah, get high and you come right. And here over here is people in white coats with peer-reviewed science. And that's where I would lean, mm. right? Not now. People in white coats scare me. Yeah, they scare me now. They terrify me now. So next step in your journey, this is seven years ago, is it? Uh, yeah, so what are we, 2016, I think the medical cannabis submissions were. Um, so 2016, so the next step was to to – you know, there's a helpless feeling um, when you find out a loved one has a terminal illness or is going to pass away. And so my thing was is to um, – look, my life changed. Um, obviously, a lot of people saw what I did 
through the submissions because I did a we did a video we did a, a live submission to Parliament. So a lot of people saw what I did, and then you know I had people ringing me for just ringing me to help them and, and help save them. And and so I've got to attribute a lot of what my best friend, um, what saved him is his own attitude, his own stoic attitude, his own mm. ability to change, you know, to make the right changes. So, you know, my life turned around. Um, we, I was approached by the Hemp Foundation New Zealand to help direct the research there. Um, we started having stands at the GP conferences to educate doctors on the endogenous cannabinoid system, how it worked. Um, and I've been doing that from 2017 every year right up until we just didn't make the last one in a couple of weeks ago. Um, what, just was, we, what is the reception like? What is the reception? Amazing. Amazing. Amazing, really. From And I was able to... The beautiful thing about being around all those doctors and health professionals was I was allowed to, I was allowed to submit some of my theories to them and get actual you know um, responses from them and and educated responses from them as well. Yeah. So so that was where I really had a had a, a great training of talking to all of these doctors, um, being around these medical professionals and trying to explain how this endocannabinoid system is like a Wi-Fi. If you imagine it to a Wi-Fi network, right? And every cell in our body has receptors for these cannabinoids. And if you've got a sore knee and you use a, a balm or an oil and rub it around that area, all it's doing is allowing the brain and that part of the body to connect so that this can do its job. This runs the machine. The brain runs the the amazing machine that we have and yeah so when you put cannabinoids into the system it just allows the system to have a better connectivity around the body to understand what's going on better and to work at its premium optimum so we're not talking about cannabis to get high we're essentially talking about cannabis to maintain our health and that was sort of where i i led to i became the government liaison for the hemp industry um, from 2016 up until 2020, uh, I got a hemp license, uh, got a research and breeding license. Uh, I then used my skills to help other people that wanted to get into the industry get licensed, and we saw a, a massive growth in the industry um, from the time I got involved right up until the changes by MPI in 2018. So, uh, so at this stage, back in 2016, you could grow hemp legally with a license? Yep, and you could feed it to animals. And you could feed it to animals, and yep. you could sell it to people as animal food? Yes. And so that was the workaround? It was sort yeah, of like that was the workaround for sure. Worm paste that we used to take. The same as the... Um... You know the milk, the unpasteurized milk that people yes. buy cows, and you yeah, know there's, no, there's always a workaround. You know, <laughs> I bought a lot of I, I bought a lot of animal food that's milk. Um, okay, I got that. Yep. So, so um, with that done, we we looked to one. Um, you know, I developed some products that were approved by the by by the Ministry of Health. Um, one was called Phytoflower. Um, and so uh, these products 
essentially what it was was it was a byproduct of seed production um, and it was high in high in cannabinoids um, and I would use that base product to make a lot of other products um, so I'd make uh, you know depending on what people needed so if it was a neurological problem we'd use a, a hemp seed oil because it's high in omega-3 if it was a lymphatic problem with breast cancer or something like that would use a long chain fatty acid like coconut oil and would put these cannabinoids into them so essentially we were finding out where the problem was in the body uh what part of you know what does the body process in that area so if it's you know gut problems we'd use an mct oil so it goes straight to the gut mitochondria um so different carrier oils for the cannabinoids to target specific areas and people and and just help people really Um, and because they were approved by the medical whatever you could sell the ministry of health you could then sell them as health supplements or as what no because humans weren't able to oh okay they were approved but not fit for human consumption because it was only animal animals could only eat hemp prior to not 2018 got it okay so what you were producing was animal medications not medications no supplements Animal so, so these aren't these aren't medications like no no I get sorry I do apologize yeah. that so you got supplements for animals mm. and I would go on your site and buy animal supplements and my aged mother may be taking them for her rheumatism. That's true. That's that's totally up to you what you do with them after they're sold to you. Yeah. And so there was a wink wink nod nod. Everything's sailing along. But what you'd like to have seen, and you're working with the New Zealand hemp industry to get this on a secure footing, to get it properly understood and um, properly authorized and presumably regulated as to the products. That's right. Yeah. We, we, we always stood by a thing where the, the Director General of Health you know, concedes that hemp is not a narcotic and there is no way that if somebody discovers a hemp crop that there is any harm that can come to them by by finding or discovering that crop. The biggest harm that could come to them is that they chop it down and try and sell it on the street as drugs and get beaten up. Yeah. That's, a, that's, that's about the biggest harm. So there shouldn't be any problem with taking a little bit of that crop and putting it into a, an oil and putting that to market. It's no different to dandelions or kale. Exactly, hundred percent. So, so it's quite a different cultivar. Is that the word that I'm looking for to a marijuana crop for the drug? Yeah. So the difference between marijuana and natural cannabis or hemp is that hemp's grown naturally. So. A lot of people believe that, you know, the bud that people smoke is the cannabis flower. Well, that's actually not true. The cannabis flower is actually on the male plant and it has the pollen. And so, you know, just like humans, he opens up 20 days before the female's ready and pollinates the female plant. Yeah. And and, and um, she produces a seed. So it's about how the sun uses, um, you know, how the plant uses the sun's energy. And so... The plant can either use the sun's energy to pr- to reproduce, which is with the seed after, naturally after it's been pollinated, or if there's no male pollen in the area, 
it'll use the sun's energy to get stickier and stickier and stickier to hopefully capture some male pollen from the air. So if you if you take that male pollen out, the plants over generations and generations are just going to get stickier and stickier. They'll produce higher cannabinoids um, to capture pollen. So they're, they're just designed to reproduce. And and I, I completely miss the point. The stickiness that the female plant is producing in the hope of catching some pollen to reproduce, that stickiness is what gets you high. It, yeah, the, the THC is the stickiness. The, okay. it's, the, it's the resins that the plant produces, yeah. Okay, and, and a, so male, a male doesn't produce that stickiness. It has a little bit, but it doesn't okay. have nearly as much as the female. So it produces it to, um, uh, what was I was thinking about this on my run today, <laughs> how I was going to explain this, is um, once the female is pollinated, she doesn't need to produce uh, that to get that sticky. Got That's it. why smokers of cannabis don't like seeded plants because it has a very low cannabinoid content because yeah. the cannabinoids are then just present. Pre- the cannabinoids then are just produced for regulation and protection. Okay. So THC, once known to us, once was to protect it from UVB light. So that's okay. why New Zealand has such good cannabis marijuana because we have such a high UVB index. Okay. And to get a good cannabis plant, for generations you have to cultivate it without being pollinated. Yeah. And you're cultivating the female plants in the absence of pollen. Yes. And how do you, without seeds, grow the next crop? The plant self-seeds. It has, it has when the when the change of light comes, it realises that it's not going to get pollinated by a male. Okay. So then it, it will produce its own seed. Okay. And that next generation of seed realizes it's in a non-pollinate, it's not in an area where it's going to get pollen easily, so that next generation will produce cannabinoids faster. Got it. And it's a direct clone of the mum. Yep. It's got no dad, so to speak. And you do that over and over, and you generate these high levels of THC, whereas when you're growing hemp, you're pollinating the plants. Early. Early. And that's why you're not getting the drug. Yeah, the, the 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 cultivars have been, you know, even hemp these days has been bred to have very low THC. Got it. You know, back in the day when we're talking pre-1937, there would have probably been about 4% THC in a, you know, that's probably why the American president sat on their deck and smoked their, their hemp pipes. There would have probably been a, quite a bit higher THC. So... But naturally, if you're growing hemp, um, the THC content is very low. And everything's being bred now to sort of sit within laws and stuff like that. But, okay. I mean, prior, you know, if you look prior to 1937, uh, the British one, without cannabis, the, the, we would just never have discovered the world. Um, you know, the sails and the riggings on the ships were made from cannabis. They, they carried six, you know, Columbus was renowned for spreading cannabis out throughout the Americas. Um, and then they got to New Zealand and Harakiki, or New Zealand flax, was known as South Pacific hemp. Mm. 
because of the fibre strength. So they didn't have to grow cannabis in New Zealand because mm. we had harakiki, which was such a strong fibre in itself. So they didn't need to, um, to, to, to grow it here at all. Um, and then the flax industry obviously took off and flaxseed oil is amazing for us and, you know, all these sort of other things. Well, that's a good analogy for me to see, right, because I can see flax as fibre and I remember a twine mill down the road from where I lived as a boy and they'd take flax and make twine. And we know about flaxseed oil and the amazing Amigas and how it's good for us and we should take a slurp now and again. And so that's our indigenous, if you like, hemp. Yeah. The South Pacific had hemp. The Northern Hemisphere had had, um, had, uh, had flax and they had hemp. You were growing hemp. Um, You must have been very busy growing. Is it hard to grow? And no, I'd con- I, I, so I, I actually, you know, I'd contract other farmers to grow it for me. Okay. Um, and, and then you're busy extracting. Well, I wasn't extracting anything. I was utilizing the whole plant. So it, it, everything. So there was to me why extract anything and change nature. There's just no point. I, I'd just put some of the hemp plant into some oil blend it all together, and then filter out a little bit of the, the plant residue, but not much. I, I'd, I'd prefer to leave that plant. It's just like a it's just like a vegetable, you know. It's just like having a smoothie with kale or or something like that. I, I just don't understand of trying trying to change nature's perfect, you know, the perfect the perfect combination of all of these cannabinoids. What, what if you try and – we don't know what all the other cannabinoids do to the human body, but we do know that we have a – system inside our body that's very receptive to all of these cannabinoids so i never tried to change it at all i just tried to make it as whole as possible yeah so you are getting farmers to grow the hemp you're taking it and providing it as an animal supplement and at the same time advocating for better presumably awareness and regulation so you're not having to be covert. Yeah, in the grey area. Yeah, in the grey area. In the grey area. I just wanted to bring it out of the grey area, really. And Um, then what happened? Oh, um, we, you know, I think Matt said it great. We, We had a workshop with MPI and the Ministry of Health, and there was a lot of participants in the industry came to this workshop um, and MPI, that's the Ministry for Primary Industries. It used to be the Ministry of Agriculture and Fisheries, right? That, MPI. That's right, yeah. Yeah. And, and so and the Ministry of Health, you know, are the ones that regulate the industry and issue the licenses. So we came to a workshop and, and I'd say that industry had full backpacks. Uh, we emptied them on the table for the government and then we basically got given back an empty backpack. I mean, we were trying to, you know, the, the great – the, the game over situation for us was they can sell poppy seeds in the supermarket and you can make poppy seed tea and die. You can't, and, the, and poppy seed's not classed as a drug, but hemp seed, whole hemp seed, you there's no harm that you can, that can come to you from having a whole hemp seed. Only healthy outcomes can come from this. We wanted to have whole hemp seeds available for public consumption. You can roast them. You can cover them in chocolate. You can, 
do all of these amazing, and, it, and it's the perfect packaging for the inside of the seed, which is where all the nutritional benefit is. So that was essentially what we were looking at, is having getting whole seeds to market, because that just opens up the whole game. I mean, you can grow poppies in your garden. There's no reason you shouldn't be able to grow hemp in your garden either. Um, but then what happened, we had this, these changes come through in 2018, and hemp was um, available for human consumption, so it was made as a food, but it was only hulled hemp seeds, so you have to do all this processing. Um, and they banned hemp from agriculture. So we hang on, were, I've lost, I've lost that. What? <laughs> yeah, we did too. We were lost as well. Don't worry. <laughs> so it was two government departments at loggerheads. Well, yeah. So hemp seed food was made legal in New Zealand, and then hemp used for agricultural purposes was basically denied. Um, so the 12 years of industry we had prior to that was just basically thrown away. So you could no longer feed hemp protein to animals. You couldn't feed it, use it as a fodder. Oh, we I see. Oh, my goodness. We had all yeah. of this arbitration of – we had all of this, you know, the, the explain from the officials was that they were worried about contamination of our food products in our export market, whereas we never had an issue 12 years prior to that. Never had there been an issue 12 years prior to – to this, these changes, um, one molecule of cannabinoids in any product were deemed as a drug. Um, you couldn't, and this is what really got me, Rodney. Was this is, and this will sound crazy, but you couldn't. The words they used were, "You cannot grow hemp in the environment of food-producing animals or plants." Yet, on the other hand, they just made hemp a food. That's crazy. Only, only that's like a um, Monty Python skit, isn't it? You had spent all this time able to produce. Just correct me if I get it wrong, Chris, because it's bewildering. <laughs> we won't tell you the name of the woman that was, you know. I mean, those in the industry will laugh, but but yeah, carry on. So the health outfit they decided that, yes, you can now sell this as food, whereas pre hitherto you couldn't. Yes. Hitherto, prior to 2018, you had to sell it as animal food or animal supplement. That's right. And humans would, what they did with it was up to them, but we knew that humans took it. Then in 2018, the Ministry of Health says, oh, it's okay as a health food for humans. And the agriculture department, MPI, said it's not okay for animals, Anymore. more particularly, <laughs> and this is the killer bit, you can't grow it anywhere near where animals or food is being grown or produced because a molecule could waft away from this hemp and end up inside of a lamb and jeopardise our export market. Have I got or that possibly right? make it healthy. Yeah. <laughs> so what you'd been doing for 12 years was deemed unlawful, not just selling it as an animal supplement now, 
that couldn't be done, but you couldn't even grow it near where agricultural production was occurring. Am I correct in that? That's what they came out and said, yeah. I think, look, I, I, I got out of the industry. I, I, I just, You'd be brokenhearted. Oh, I mean, I was on the point of bankruptcy. I mean, other things I'd done it, it had led to that as well. But, I mean, I'd, I'd sunk so much money and time. I mean, I was travelling overseas to to conferences to listen to, you know, top top people in this industry. I mean, I've been to China a few times. I'd, all of this stuff, it, it's just I'd sunk so much money and time into it that I, I knew something was, wasn't right, and so I started to investigate different officials, and I found out that one of them had worked for Pfizer for 13 years. Um, I actually had peer-reviewed research on Mycoplasma bovis private prior to this as well, saying you didn't have to kill all these animals. We could have done something different. But nobody was prepared to listen. Um, you know, I think, like we are talking about when we started this conversation, the unchecked lobbying industry, the the regulators at the back of the the back of the politicians that's where our problem is that they've got you know who knows what interests so specifically got. the concern that you and i have is that the pharmaceutical business is predicated on us being sick and needing patented medicine 100%. But not just as a one-off. They like a painted medicine that we have to take continuously, or even healthy people have to take. <laughs> yeah. Like a fancy... and they don't make they don't make money from healthy people. You, no. You've got to understand this. And this is this and is, they don't well, make health, this is worldwide. They don't, they don't make money from natural Funny supplements or food. That's why we've got this Therapeutics Goods Act coming through at the moment. That should just be repelled like anything because this is going to put mum and dad businesses out of, you know, it's going to it's going to put people out of business having to, it's it's going to over-regulate the industry. And, and we just, we can't afford to let these officials determine. I mean, I don't think anybody's had any harm come to them from using a natural health product. And that's a big statistic. However, it's, it's now not. they want to put in these Therapeutic Goods Act, which is the TGA essentially in Australia, which is the Therapeutic Goods Administration. It's just the same acronym for a different branch of pharmaceutical Tom Effery. You know, I won't go there. But the the thing is, is they're not the the, the pharmaceutical industries stand to lose billions and billions and billions and billions of dollars once people realise that. We have this endocannabinoid system and the receptors from the system. The pharmaceutical companies have been trying to target these receptors with pharmaceutical drugs for years and years and years. Ah, so, and so they when you target a natural product, painted natural product that can target even receptors they don't know about yet. Well, I wouldn't have believed you three years ago. I can tell you that now, which is uh, a great sin of mine. It's all right. And, it's, that's, and you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have. And not just that, but for 10 years, our family enjoyed raw milk. And right. it was the most beautiful, healthy product. And I've got three healthy kids who were weaned on raw milk, and we'd go through gallons of it. And Make butter with the cream? No, I tried that once. It was too much work. <laughs> but um, to be fair to me, um, but the loveliest couple 
that were producing this beautiful milk and I'd visit their farm. It was the most gorgeous farm, clean. They loved showing you around, beautiful cows. When I had a glass of this milk, it was like going back to being five years old again and licking the cream off the top of the can. And they did everything to comply with the ever-evolving rules that, quote, MPI put up for our safety. And they were all compliant according to the best legal minds that they could employ. Still, they got prosecuted and destroyed by MPI, even after MPI had signed off what they were doing. And I couldn't imagine a more disgusting use of state power because you had someone producing milk that we've drunk for, I don't know, thousands of years and who had no complaints, willing buyers, happy sellers, a lovely community of raw milk drinkers, exuberant and looking after themselves and the delicious milk compared to the crap you buy in the supermarket. No complaints, no victims, no illness other than good health. And MPI destroyed this elderly couple. Now, what sort of people do that? And what you're saying is here they are doing this. But of course, dare I say it, there's big money involved in this, big business involved in this. And any chink is a crack in the Berlin Wall. Yeah, the cracks start to open and, and you know. They can't allow it. It's like having reality check radio, you know, goodness knows, um, without sounding too paranoid. Um, they don't even like free speech now, the government. Well, when I was put under prior uh, so so I found these links between a government official and previous employment with Pfizer Pharmaceuticals, and I notified the Solicitor General, the Director General, and all these pe people of this conflict of interest of not actually wanting to see any progress in this industry. A few days later, I had the police turn up and MPI officers turn up at my backpackers and issue me prohibition notices, and they prohibited all of my products. And the thing that I really knew that it wasn't actually, there was no substance to this, was they prohibited my balm. And I've sent you a, an email with some images of what my balm can do. Mm. They prohibited my balm, and my balm was never designed for animals at all. It was ne So they had to redact the prohibit prohibition on my balm. The other thing that I found really interesting, Rodney, was that the prohibition notice said that I could challenge this notice or any person affected by this so prohibition. Just to, just to catch listeners up, because you've lived it and it goes quick, and I've read it, and still when you said it, you um, were concerned that these regulations had been dumped and changed and totally contradictory between health and animal totally contradictory to common sense, totally contradictory to um, what had been going on for some years. And these had been basically decided by officials and rubber stamped 
by politicians, I imagine. And you noticed that the person chiefly involved in making this had previously worked at Pfizer. And you're thinking, well, you know, there's a potential conflict of interest here because we're trying to sell natural products. And this person spent a great deal of time working for a pharmaceutical big business. So you wrote a letter off as a free citizen in a democracy to the ombudsman, ombudsman pointing this out. How many days later? Approximately nine days later. Nine days later. Never happened before. How many policemen turn up? I think there's three policemen and two MPI officers. So MPI, who uh, work for this person, right, the same organisation, turn up, and they turned up to do what? And now you're running a backpackers. They turn up at your backpackers, and they turned up for what purpose, did they say? To To prohibit my products under the Agricultural Compounds and Medicines Act. And why did it take three policemen to do that? Well, I was really lucky. I had a retired policeman behind me and I had a judge whose wife was a vet that also used my products. So I had (laughs) had some really pretty cool people in my corner. Wow. Apparently, because when I was younger, I got convicted of of an assault charge. Um, And, I mean, we're talking when I was like 21, I think. (laughs) You know. So this was straight out intimidation, right? Yeah, but it's not just oh. happened to me, though, Rodney, too. I mean, we've got a, a young couple on the west coast of New Zealand that have been put through the same ringer as me. They've spent $300,000 investing into the hemp industry and, and what they wanted to do with hemp going organic and moving away from dairy. And, and, and you know, uh, that'd be great. You know, I mean, they're moving to Australia. They've probably moved, actually, to Australia now. But the, 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 they don't do that just to me. They've done it to a lot of other people, you know. I'm not, not sort of... no. But it's but, just my stories are a little bit more interesting. Whereas, but of you know, course, I, int- intimidation only works if the victim is absolutely aware that they're being intimidated and other mm. people get to see it. So the policeman and the MPI guys turn up to your backpackers with a notice that prohibits you from what? Making, selling, or producing my products. And that's effective immediately effective immediately or I faced two years imprisonment. I think it was $150,000 in fines. However, where I was going with this, Rodney, was the prohibition notice said any person affected by this prohibition can make a submission to the district court within 14 days. Now, just so I'm sorry to do this to you, Chris. That's right. They handed you the notice. You said, oh, okay, and they left. I didn't say okay. No, there was a few other there was a few other things said. Um, you know, there was a few other things said, um, particularly with the police. Like I said, you know, you're prohibiting a, a hemp product. I mean, I'm licensed. I, you know, um, but you know, I, I, what else could you do? That as soon as they've served it, it's effective. Okay, so they've done that, and then mm-hmm. so and there's a bit of argy bargy, as I can well imagine. And they left. Then what happened? Then we reached out to the industry and we looked like we had a lot of support. Um, We did note on the prohibition notice, like I was saying, that we could um, apply to the district court um, if we, 
you know, didn't agree with this prohibition. Now, this is the interesting part. I hadn't been charged with anything, so I couldn't apply to the district court for anything. I had no CIV number. I had no way. So I we went to the district court. The district court couldn't do anything. I hadn't been charged with anything. Nobody had ever come to them with a prohibition notice from MPI wanting to challenge it. I well, couldn't was, do it. Did that render so just, it unlawful? So I just decided to carry on selling my products and see what happens. Nothing's happened. How crazy. It's just straight intimidation. Straight intimidation. And it hasn't just happened to me, it's happened to many others in the industry. It's absolutely bureaucratic bullshit. Um, and the police are involved. They included the police, yeah. Saying and you, you that, live in it. The other you, reason too, though, Rodney, in their defence is that I'm a firearms holder. I, I have firearms yes. licences and things like that. Um, you know, just it's just ridiculous. You know, it's just just ridiculous. Um, it left me. You know, my wife was just distraught because we spent so much money. We thought we had it in the bag. We thought, yes, we're going to do it. We'll be able to export these products because health products. You know, we're totally focused on human health and well-being and helping people and being of service to others. And and, and look where that got us. You know, um, we just got kicked in the guts and literally. Everything fell apart for me from there. And, and my own choices, I made some bad choices with drugs and alcohol as well. I'm not I'm not meaning to be a saint. Um, you know, but everything fell apart from that point for me, yeah. Marriage? Very close, very close to. Um, like I say, I've just spent 18 months on the road in a motorhome living with different, in different places with my family. My family is still together um, just by, by, by a thread. But, you know, we... It just, yeah, I just, it's everything fell apart from that point forward. Um, yeah, I, just so much stress. I had to sell, we had to sell the backpackers. I also tried to sell New Zealand Hemp Brokers, which was my company. I tried to sell that, tried to sell my backpackers. To You know, I'd spent so much time away from my backpackers that it was just to the detriment of the backpackers. You know, we're so far behind in our lease and so on and so forth and spending so much money going overseas and to Wellington each month. None of this is paid work. This is all voluntary work as well. So everything was sort of, you know, we'd just done it just because we thought what we're doing was right. And and I had the knowledge and the, the brain to sort of push it further than anyone had sort of done it before. That was 2020, was it? 2020, yeah. Two, September 2019, we were put under prohibition. Okay, before COVID. Yeah. So you have had <laughs> a very, very tough three years, four years. Yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, it's been a challenge to say the least, but I think if it doesn't break you, it makes you stronger. True. And what is the situation now with the hemp industry? Because from what you've told me, you can't grow it. You can grow it. Um, to you can you can stick within their guidelines and you can stick within their laws and their absurd regulations and so on and so forth. So forth. I think they may have changed the not able to grow it in the environment of food producing animals and plants because I think that was just a an absolute stupid absurd, overreach. It's absurdity yeah. that they couldn't get away with. Um, but that was the wording they used. And that that there was to me was just 
a uh, signal. It was a signal that something wasn't right. The other thing was the redaction of my prohibition on my balm. I knew it was a personal thing because I'd called a personal conflict of interest on in someone. Um, so so you, you, you're right out of it now? Yeah, I, I can't afford to. To I, I still have people that I look after. Uh, yeah, um, but you, you, you would have realised that by standing up and making a submission and pointing out a potential difficulty, you'd painted a big target on your back. Huge. By the way, when I was an MP, I recall a, a constituent coming to see me, and that pointed out a conflict of interest with the Supreme Court judge. And that was a big deal. But in the fullness of time, he won, right? So you're thinking, these things are real, right? But he had, and it was a similar thing, big industry, right? I just for, just remembered that one, apropos nothing. So, um, oh, my God. So the situation in New Zealand now is I can buy some medical cannabinoid products for human consumption? So you can't, you you can buy hemp products that yes. are in line with the hemp regulations. So that's containing no cannabinoids. Oh, really? Yeah. The, the cannabinoids, so this is a, this is an interesting thing. And what thing. you're saying is, so is my cannabinoids are what your body may well need. Yeah, so let, let's look at this. So when this happened to to me in the industry, I said to them, I want to see all red wine off the shelves in New Zealand supermarkets by tomorrow if we cannot have natural occurring cannabinoids in our products because red wine has GHB in it, which is the date rape drug, right? So red wine has GHB, which is the date rape drug, in its products. So red wine, Vermoth, all of these liquors that are made from red fruits they have ghb in it now now um keith bedford who was the lead esr scientist at that time said no there's not enough that you should worry about in it so they should be fine so the red wine industry went on keith bedford also did a paper on cbd saying no there's no worry about it you should be able to let them go but that didn't happen because it's not a big industry yet well they don't want it to be a big industry because it it is the industrial competitor to so many other industries. Look at the reason they banned hemp in the first place. America were producing 130 million litres of oil from hemp before they started digging for oil in the ground. It is such a big industrial competitor to big business that it is not in the interest of any political party that has any sense of human, you know, sense of understanding about human health and well-being or animal health and well-being. I mean, the way that I could instantly improve New Zealand health would be to start feeding hemp seeds to chickens and allowing you to get CBD and little minute amounts of THC and protein and omega-3 in your eggs. How many people in New Zealand eat eggs? Not many at the moment. The cost of them. 
but I'm still but hanging you know what I mean? that's, that's where it comes down to like hemp seed itself should be fed to animals in order to make healthier animals re- less reliant on pharmaceutical products so healthier. it starts with the, the food yeah at the moment can I buy cannabinoid oil was it called CBD right is that what yep, it's called? you can you can buy it from the, you can get it on prescription from the pharmacy, right? Or you can go to a lot of people like myself who are what we what what we're classed as green fairies that produce this, and I, like I've never stopped producing my oil because it was a simple challenge to the government. Take me to court and let me see. Let's go back to the old legislation where I was able to make a product from industrial hemp, and there was no license required to have it. So we can. Yeah, you can make you can get CBD oil from green fairies and and so on and so forth, or you can get when it. When you the say public. green fairy, what's that signify? Okay, so that's a person in your community that is making cannabinoid products for the benefit of the the local community. Okay, uh, not for under the under the radar, wallet. under the radar, not for the benefit of their own wallet, but for the benefit of human health, okay. really, and to so ease. It's like someone stuff. having a cow passing you some milk. Rose Renton, I don't know if you've heard of Rose Renton. No. She, she's probably, um, you know, she was discharged from court because there's just no public harm. Um, we're not there to hurt the public at all. We're just there to help those that might need it, um, so on and so forth. So, And if so, I wanted to do it, because I don't know a green fairy other than you, and that might be a bit obvious given that we're on the internet talking, um, I would have to go to my doctor and get a prescription and go to my pharmacist. And then where would I get the pharmacist would have it so, in their shop? So yeah, you're getting you're getting it from no, the pharmacist has to get it in. It's a controlled drug. So the pharmacist would have to get it in. You'd probably pay $160 to $180 for a bottle of it, or you could pay $55 around for the same bottle. <laughs> to a green from a theory. Green. Yeah. And this is effectively flax oil. Effectively, it's hemp. hemp yeah, effectively, yeah. depends on what the person's using. Like I say, Rodney, you know, like it uh, depends on what you know, people use hemp seed oil and put the plant into hemp seed oil, or they use flaxseed oil and put the plant into that. They might use MCT oil and put it into that. Mm. They could use coconut oil. But it's all about having cannabis oil in the diet. It's, it's, the equivalent product to selling flaxseed oil, which you don't need a prescription for. No, because because flaxseed oil doesn't have the cannabinoids that. Okay. Yeah, so it's all about these cannabinoids in one molecule determining it as a drug, whereas there's no area for natural occurring levels. You know, like yes. there is in with but, DH. But what I'm saying, there's lots of chemicals in flax oil too. Yeah, there's lots of chemicals in a it's lot a of stuff. Cab- it's the cannabinoid that that makes Can- it the target. Cannabinoids. Cannabinoid. What do I say? Can, can a bit, you, get, you get a bit tongue-tied there sometimes. I do. I'm terrible. Yeah, yeah that's all right. It's a new area of learning for you. You so know what? I we're thought good in, my, in my head I said it perfectly. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Um, we're running out of time, Chris, sadly, because um, I'm bewildered. I love your story. I love your personal stories, as tragic as they are. Um, and it's one thing to suffer tragedy, 
and to rise up, but to have that tragedy of government-induced trauma in a democracy is what really hurts because that's not we think government is there for, to harass us and make life painful for us or difficult for us or to serve interests other than ours. So you're dealing with the fact that a system that should be for you, you're discovering isn't. And then we're still in a New Zealand that doesn't believe that government officials and government apparatuses will operate scrupulously fairly and with nothing but the public interest in mind. So you're also not necessarily supported and believed by the wider public because we still have a touching faith in our political institutions, I think less so after COVID. So not only have you had that, you know, the heart attack and 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 that tough time probably induced by this pressure, but you've had to deal with a government without putting too fine a point on it out to get you and your business. Yep, that's pretty much in a nutshell. And when you started this, you would never have imagined that. No, I would never have imagined that. There was absolutely no appetite for human health no. and over-regulating this industry. Hey, Chris, are we down a rabbit hole? No, I don't think we are. I think <laughs> No, I was being sarcastic. Yeah, I don't but... think we are. I think we're, we're on a We're platform. down a rabbit hole doing our own research. Ooh, that's bad. Someone once told me that rabbit holes were designed to keep your keep you in a rabbit hole so you're not aware of what's going on outside the rabbit hole. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Don't get too far Have down. Have you got there. anything, Chris, you'd like to add to this interview that you I feel agree. you would haven't covered? No. Or do you I think, think we've done a good go? We've we've given it a good go. I think there's it's brought awareness to people that you know, although there are regulations in place for this industry, um, it's highly overregulated. Not many interested farmers are interested in growing this crop. Of where not. if they government that, that had a real eye on the twenty thirty plan of sustainable development, then this plant should be deregulated and put on every farm. And that's the that's the basic fact. If they actually had a real view and sustainability, the, the the environment, better fuels, better better farming, they would they would do they, they would have this crop on every farm without a doubt. And the beautiful thing is is that the medical cannabis companies could buy the biomass from these farms, but then you might see farmers out of debt. So hey, you know. Well they don't, do they? And we're seeing communities destroyed by big multinationals buying them up to plant pine trees, which yeah. they have no intention of harvesting. But other than to say that they're carbon neutral, it's it's totally disgusting. Yeah. And this yeah. crop should be fed to animals to to have yeah. healthier animals. It well, should be it well, should be, Chris, be the, the key player in the game of sustainable development in New Zealand. But do you think we can get a politician to listen to us? 
Mm. Well, we'll keep talking, Chris. And I can't say how much I've appreciated you coming on because not only were you upfront about your business and your would-be industry and uh, your personal life and your personal (laughs) failings, which is quite wonderful, really, because it's we feel as though we know you. And I appreciate that. And so what we had with Chris Woodney from the one time from the New Zealand hemp industry until the government turned up with the police because he made a complaint about a civil servant, we've had real talk. It was real talk with Chris Wadney. Am I saying your name correctly now? I've got That's right. Got Chris Wadney. Um, wonderful guy. On a different track after a life-changing heart attack where he was very lucky to survive and be with us today. Uh, it's Reality Check Radio. How lucky we are to live in this great country, which has people like Chris in it, uh, striving to do better, striving to make New Zealand a better place. And how disgusting is it that everywhere you turn, there's some agent of government who you pay for through your taxes, who sits on you at every opportunity and can destroy your hopes and your dreams. And you think you're voting for the government, but behind the politicians is the government, which um, is always there. Thank you for listening. I hope you're enjoying the show as much as I am. You're on Reality Check Radio, Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. If you've got a contribution, text us at 2057. I love getting the text or email us at inbox at Reality Check Radio. Thank you so much. Thanks for tuning in to RCR, Reality Check Radio. If you like what you're listening to, or even if you don't agree with what you're listening to, then get in touch with us now. You can text us with your message to 2057. That's 2057. Or if you'd rather email us, you can at inbox at realitycheck.radio. We would love to hear from you. So get in touch with us now. You're on Reality Check Radio. It's Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. Um, Please send me an email. Send us your feedback, inbox at realitycheck.radio. And send me a text, 2057. I can't begin to tell you how wonderful that feedback makes us feel because we're doing our utmost to get this radio up and running and the feedback is our payment, as it were. So please uh, send us a note. And we love the criticism now. I'm a big boy. At the start, I wasn't ready for the criticism, but I'm ready for a, a wee critique now and again. I can handle it because I've got so much wonderful uh, feedback. I can take a little bit. Uh, But we have got a very exciting uh, lady that we're going to interview now. It's Jo Mackey. Good morning. Good morning, Rodney. Now, what we're about to do is engage in some misinformation and disinformation you and I with our audience aren't we yes (laughs) and what we're about to do and talk about it isn't safe for people or that's how it would be declared 
Yes. And in fact, you had a direct experience when you were going to speak, you were invited to speak or suggested to speak at a group looking at smart cities. And someone said, this is how you and I ended up in contact. Someone said, well, it'd be great to get Jo along because she can talk about, you know, this whole climate change stuff that underpins it. And the organiser, private citizen, said what? That it may scare the audience. So she didn't want me to speak. So we're putting out, Jo and I, a little trigger warning. Because um, what uh, we are talking about um, apparently is misinformation, disinformation, is a little bit scary. Uh, we know the stuff or paper explicitly states that it won't report, and nor will the Herald, nor will TV One News, it won't report what we're saying today because that would be false balance and it doesn't want to amplify the misinformation that they say we're spreading. Now, we don't claim to be experts, Joe, do we? Not at all. But you have a master's in geology? Yes, I do. I can report that I have a master's in biology and a master's in economics. So... If we bought into the rubbish that our government and experts spout, um, we would be doing quite well financially and be very busy yes. and be regarded as experts. Yes. But we are fringe and marginalised. For sure. Now, that's the trigger warning. Now we're into it. Tell us about yourself, Joe. How did you get into geology? Just as a general interest in science, I've always been a, a science girl. I'm a born and bred farmer. Um, looking at nature has been my thing um, because you need to follow nature as a farmer, see what's going on. And um, so I just literally just followed my interests as I went through school and then to university. And where did you go to university? Waikato. Waikato. And where did you grow up? Um, I was born in Auckland, so we had a farm out at Beachlands, and then we moved down to the Waikato. Nice. And grew up there. Dairy farming? Uh, sheep farm, then beef, and then dairy. And, so you're farming, and, and you're farming now? Yes, I am. I've got a little block of my own, um, but I relief milk for the farms around me. What does relief milk mean? Um, I'm the – when – Farmers have their staff, need their staff weekends off or they have their holidays. They call me in to fill in the gap. Oh, so wow. I'm, yeah, I go in and fill in when staff have their time off. And do you get paid like by the hour for doing that? How do, how do you get it? How does the contract uh, it's all, work? Yeah, all different with different farmers. Um, some it's paid by the milking, some it's paid by the hour, depending whether you do extra work. I'm also a calf rearer as well, so I rear calves for some farmers, and then others I just milk for. So it's a bit of both. And so these are people just word of mouth or regulars yes, that you look I've after? I've never applied for a job. It's all been word of mouth. Isn't that great? Yeah. I now, just go um, I love geology. I grew up in North Canterbury, and I loved science, and I fell in love with animals and plants. Funnily enough, I don't like touching them. <laughs> 
It's a terrible thing I have. Like, and I can remember having to cut up a dogfish and sort of holding it with one finger um, <laughs> and feeling slightly sick. But I love the fear, and I've never been a pet person, but I love the theory and the science of how animals work and ecology and ecosystems. And I was worried about ecosystem collapse and overpopulation and all that stuff that was fed to us as kids. Yeah. However, I, I'm now living in central Otago, and I believe if I had grown up here, I would have been a geologist. Really? Because Yes. Because when you're sitting in North Canterbury, it's like just flat, and the ground is just something you stand on, right? Yes. I never thought of the ground as anything else than what you stand on, obviously, in the distance, you can see the Alps, and then there's these wonderful braided rivers. But to me, I never realized how amazingly interesting that geology is. And when I come to Otago, it just amazes me. And I I can't get enough geology. And it's actually quite hard to get good reports. I go through resource applications for fun to just get the geological report because it's the only way I can find someone writing about the district in a decent yes. way. But, you know, right where we are here in Arrowtown, I mean, this was just covered in, in ice 20,000 years ago. Yes. It's yes. hard to believe to me. And then when you see these vast moraines and channels cut and schist Channels cut by the ice and these moraines left, and you're just looking at that. To me, it's it's stupendous. And then schist, we've got a lot of schist, obviously, mm -hmm. and I can't remember the numbers, but that's basically grey wacky sedimentary rock, I think. Correct me if I go wrong. Pushed a so. long way down, yeah. got enormously hot to make it just, and then pushed up, and it's like 400 million years old or something, right? Yeah. Yeah. That is a oh, wonderful, a wonderful thing to understand. Yes. It's yes. like astronomy too, oh. because it gives you perspective. Yes. On time. Is that what you find? Yeah. Yes. Um, we think... <laughs> We think we can make a difference, you know, in how we can change the climate and make it perform, but we are so small. And when you look at the size of the sun compared to the earth and where we are in in the galaxy and in our, it, it, we're just so tiny. And without that perspective, we can be fooled. And we have been fooled. We're so amazingly minute. Yes. Um, and, of course, it's funny to me because you want to do the minest thing to your property and the council demand all sorts of applications and reports. And then there's this nature that's transforming the landscape as we speak. Yes. Um, also, too, it gives you a perspective for our topic 
which is climate change. Yes, for sure. So tell us, tell us how you got onto this climate change thing. Well, at first, um, I did, I did see, I thought, I did believe it, and thought, okay, yes, the climate's changing, and this doesn't, this is not good. What are we doing? But then, of course, because I haven't been institutionalised, and um, that's, I don't get paid to because you never worked as a geologist you were just no, carried on farming. I didn't know I never worked as a geologist so that's given me the freedom to actually research my own way and I'm not restricted to what I can look up and what I can't look up and so of course being a farmer you're out there in it every day and you get up in the morning and you realize that actually at 4 30 in the morning you're not putting your shorts and singlet on like you used to years ago. You're actually putting on your jeans and a T-shirt or jeans and a thermal right through the summer. And you're thinking, this is not global warming because years ago I would get up and put a short and singlets on. And so... <laughs> That's funny. I've, I've always assumed that was because I was getting old. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> um, and so... I just follow geologists as well because it's a, because it's a huge interest of mine. I've just always followed people, and then I came across uh, Ian Plymer and a few others. And you start and you read all their books, and you think, yes, this makes more sense. And because I understand the science, not as it probably as a fully trained geologist who's worked in it all the time, but I know what they are talking about. And so I just follow along and followed that book and then another book and came across someone else and someone else. And then you put the the dots together. Pretty much all I've done is, is got research from lots of different people and pulled it all together. And it all seems to come to the same point, which it's, is that the CO2 thing is not, not it's real. It's nothing. Yeah. It's not real. Yeah. It's interesting isn't it, that there you were with a master's degree in geology, an intelligent person, and yet you believed it. Yes. And I believed it. And you believe it in hindsight without a shred of evidence. Yes. And you tell everyone it's true, right? Mm-hmm. You're thinking. You're looking back on it, and you think, "What made me think that?" I know. We just we we just believed what we were told uh, at university. And, they started telling us then that New Zealand would become tropical, yeah. and so it started to be. It, that's all I can remember was that one thing. Um, yeah, and, and, it's, it's, and it's just everyone around you thinks it's true. And yes. so it becomes, and I mean, you realize in life, 99.99% of what you think isn't something that you've researched and reached a conclusion on. It's just something you've imbibed around you. Yes. 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 But when you start actually looking into it and, and coming across someone and reading their book and, and it just starts to awaken and open up, hang on a minute. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. That's and of course, what you've, what what you and I have done 
is what gets dismissed is, oh, you did your own research. Yes. Oh, you went on the internet. Oh, yeah. How stupid. Yes. That internet thing. You can find some of the most wonderful information on the internet, but they seem to turn it into that's the last place you should look for certain, you know. Um, There is so much out there we can find that we have never been able to find before. No. And I was lucky because uh, I'm a little older than you, Um, actually enormously older than you, but (laughs) when I was exposed to this, the scientific community was overwhelmingly against the concept. Yes. And could speak freely. And so all the scientists that I, the environmental scientists were all, when I was, you know, in my, what would it be, 20s, 30s, early 30s, were whooping it up and politicians were starting to whoop it up and the UN was starting to whoop it up. But scientists were sceptical. Yes, as they should they, be. And they could tell you that that scepticism. And then I noticed that if you wanted a research grant, you had to mention the magic words. Yes. Climate change, this this research will um, shed new light on climate change and the funds would flow. Yes. And you're, and then you witnessed the, it started off subtle, where geologists who spoke out particularly, or physical scientists who spoke out, would just drop down the picking order. Yes, they quietly disappeared, the voices, yes. And silent. some were literally forced out. Yes. Of their profession. Yes. And now you would probably be on a disciplinary action if you spoke out at a university against the narrative. Oh, boy, yes. Most people, I think, three years ago would think we are loony bins People still do think I am. <laughs> yeah. But don't you think the COVID changed it? Yes. Tell yes, it your, did. Tell us how you think that affected um, it. it might, people, the people who believed the climate change then saw this come along and thought, hang on a minute, and if they could see the COVID thing, they then could see the climate change thing. Mm. Um, And I think that's why they've ramped up the climate change thing a lot since then. It went quiet before then, and they've ramped it up a lot more to try and hold on to those who still believe it because the COVID thing has actually woken people up to the climate. And it's it's, it's woken us up to experts and the fact that they will lie. yes. Yes, and that half the, the experts that we've listened to through COVID were not experts at all in their field. So 
does that mean the experts in the CO2 thing are truly experts as well? Mm. The um, the other thing I noticed uh, at the start of the COVID was Michael Baker, and I forget the guy's name, his mate down at Otago University, and they were writing about lockdowns and how we needed to lock down and how this would be a good kickstart to dealing with climate change. They sort of yes. managed to link the two. Yes, practice locking you down for the climate to save the climate. <laughs> now, here's the thing that I struggle with, and maybe you can help, and I'm sure listeners do too. The climate argument, like, has... 350,000 reasons that they can toss at you why climate's changing. Bits of data, yes. predictions, authorities, this expert, that expert, just on and on and on and on. And amazingly, we've had 30 years of drip, drip, drip propaganda. Yes. Where Skeptics were over time silenced and now don't even get a platform. No. And so people now just accept it. And if you question it, there's a huge psychological, you can see it in their eyes, cognitive dissonance. Yes. Is that what you experience? Yes, all the time. And um, when I do mention it to people, it's almost like they even they just don't want to know. Even if it, even if I am saying, "Hey, it, it's possibly this instead," and it, this explains most of it, or nearly all of it, they're like, "Oh, we'll see. We'll just have to wait and see." And they almost don't even want to know that there is another reason out there that could explain it. I've got a theory that says if they accept what you're saying, the evidence or the lack of evidence would be a better way of putting it, mm. then it's not just changing your view of climate change. You actually have to change your view yes, of authority of experts, of the media, yeah, and almost everything that you see around you. Yes, yes, your whole world will change in the way you need to live in it or, or be part of it. It has to change, and people don't want to do that. It's too hard. They're too busy. Mm. I um, spent a big chunk of my life looking at the evidence about climate change and continually having to debunk it in my mind and then try and debunk it with people around me. And when I was a politician, you know, mm -hmm. out loud, to zero success. And I realized I couldn't understand it. And COVID was, if I, well, it, you know, one of the pluses for COVID that came out of it for me 
was it was like a foreshortened climate change experience. Yes. And that yes. I quickly realized the science, the data, and the evidence had nothing to do with it. Exactly. That everything revolved around propaganda. Yes. Yes. You can show all of the science you like and the real data and nobody wants to know or it gets dismissed and called misinformation and yet it's there and it's real and it's true. Yeah. And 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 you'd say to people, well, what makes you think this virus is so deathly? Oh, yeah. it just is. It just is, yeah. Yet there's no one dying around them. <laughs> I saw it on TV in China. Yes. Um, and funny enough, like climate change, it's the clever people with credentials that are most readily taken in. It, yes, it is. It's been it's been so fascinating to see. Yes, I've got very close family and even friends who are very intelligent and um, well educated, who are in a coma still. Yeah, do I? I got a theory that says if you're a credentialed person and you take it seriously, you believe other credentialed people. Yes. Yes. So. Yes. I have got a law degree and I'm very expert in my area of property law and I'm very scrupulous and I'm very careful because I'm a professional and I look across at an epidemiologist or you know another professional and I assume that they too are scrupulous <laughs> yes, I've stopped thinking that a long time ago. Mm. Yeah. Now, the whole thing of climate change, this is the other great thing. It is so preposterous. Oh, yes. I mean, it's not just that it's a bit wrong. It is a preposterous theory. And let me put it to you. I'm doing too much talking, but it, I'm apologizing. No, no, you're all good. Uh, no, my listeners will be jumping up and down at me. I'll be getting emails. <laughs> There'll be texts flying in. But I'm just sort of exploring it as a conversation because yes. um, it's preposterous because it has that kernel of truth that in the atmosphere provides a um, protection um with the light rays mm -hmm. and there's that glass house or greenhouse effect and here we get that and the funny thing is you and i readily see that the overwhelming greenhouse gas is water yes and this co2 which is 350 parts per million when they started and is now 400 parts per million an <gasps> absolute trace gas yep. in the atmosphere yes not enough of it no we starved <laughs> the earth is starved of it when you look at yes. it but running your motor car pokes it up 
And then instead of the earth following what we understand ecological systems to be, the reason that they've survived in a here is that they have a homeostasis, that they sort of return to an equilibrium. Yes. This little bit of CO2, infinitesimal amount of CO2, is going to trigger the earth into a collapse. It's a preposterous story. It's Yes, totally. It just doesn't make sense at all. And when it's, 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 it's the gas of life. Yes, and we've all learned that. Yes, oh, it's primary school, intermediate school science, and that seems to have been totally, totally forgotten. So it's the stuff of life because every living thing is made of carbon molecules. Yes, yes. And plants have this incredible ability extraordinary ability to soak up the sun to pull up a little water and take in CO2 Mm -hmm. and make complex molecules and be a plant yeah it's it's fascinating stuff that I don't think kids today have that they don't get taught that and they don't get taught that um, amazement about that. And that's where the whole trouble comes because they just believe what they're told instead of going, but hang on a minute. Mm. This is what this plant does with all this stuff. It is amazing what you've just described. It's just nature's just brilliant. And I love saying to my kids, I love pointing out trees to my kids and say, how do you think that tree gets water all the way to the top? Yeah. It's exciting, right? Yes. And there is a thing called the carbon cycle. Yes. Where carbon goes round and round and round. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And cows, um, because I'm a farmer, cows are actually a carbon sink. And they eat the grass that has been made from the CO2, and they put that carbon into their meat, which then we Mm. eat. So Mm. that carbon has been drawn out of the atmosphere, and cows are actually a carbon sink. But maybe Mm. that's why they use the methane issue with cows, because they can't argue the CO2 issue, because cows are a carbon sink. So when you look at... and a The only global warming, now, we should say, shouldn't we, and this is where they hook us, of course the climate changes. Oh, that's nature. That's natural. Yeah. So it's always changing, little ice age, the warm period, um, but all around, you know, um, you know, no one doesn't accept that there was an ice, there were ice ages, you know, 20,000 years ago, the bloody glaciers everywhere in New Zealand. And, yes. and, and of course, oh, and isn't it wonderful in geology? Plate tectonics. Mm. Man, that is the most amazing theory of them all. 
Yes. And then there's more theories on top of that too that um, are still very new and new to people about an expanding Earth. Yes. But it's not obvious. It's just, it's like that there are more, there's more than one universe with Edwin Hubble. It's just astonishing. But it's not obvious when you're standing on the Earth that you're on a floating plate. Yes, that's right. And, and it's then, and it's actually those fating plates that give us mountains and rivers and life. Yes. Anyway, I digress with you. So, the only evidence I've ever seen of CO2 causing a problem is the output of a computer model. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Not even and, real measurements. <laughs> and that computer model is programmed to show there is a problem. Yes, it will only give out what it's what's been entered into it. And if and, what's been put into the model is not correct, then you're going to get the wrong answer out. And it's a whole series of assumptions about an interaction between CO2 and water vapour. And then it's a whole lot of grab bag observations that they wrap around to sort of make it look sciencey. And then there's an exaggerated conclusion where the worst possible thing that happens, and time and time and time again, their predictions fall flat. Every single time. Not one has come true. Not one. No. No. Same model as, as who did COVID as well, funnily yes. enough. And funnily enough. who did um, foot and mouth funnily in Britain. Enough. Funnily enough. Funnily enough. <laughs> funnily enough. All the same people involved. Yes. And so when you're a geologist looking at this, you know that at times... CO2 wasn't at 400 parts per million. No. No. We had ice ages when it was 5,000 parts per million. Can you believe that? Before we were burning fossil fuels. Yes. And because our – I feel as I'm sort of leading you along, but it's just so interesting. And (laughs) – our plants evolved in a time when there was higher CO2 than there is now. Yes, yes. You can look back at the Precambrian and see a huge CO2 spike, um, probably the highest that's been in, the, in um, the, the planet's lifetime. And then just after that in the Cambrian when we had the explosion of life, and you had the huge big shells in the oceans floating around, those nautica shells and everything, well, they would have drawn all of that CO2 that was around to make themselves, and and we had life exploded then because of that. And that's why our commercial growers with glasshouses pump CO2 into their glasshouse. Yes. I mean, you couldn't 
you need that to feed the plants to make them grow. And that's why we're in a famine now and we'll be yeah. finding that, that we can't grow enough food, um, enough crops and plants. My father's already, he's said that to me, that he knows farmers who've noticed this season or last season, things weren't growing quite as well because the plants are actually starting to get hungry. Mm. And I always say too, how on earth did the dinosaurs live? Because most of them were vegetarian mm. and they were huge animals. The CO2 levels back then must have been huge to grow those plants to feed the dinosaurs. And it wasn't an ice age. No. And so the CO2 is a cycle, it's plant yep. food. Yes, it's gone up maybe 50 parts per million. It's had no measurable or discernible effect on um, climate. Um, and there's something else driving our climate. Yes, there is. Yeah, what's that? I call that the elephant in the room, and his name is Eddie. Mm. And that is the name given to the grand solar minimum that we are in right now that began in 2020, and it's and, the sun. And it's the sun. It's the sun. It's not you. It's not CO2. It's the sun. And tell us how the sun does. I mean, this is the big, it's a great, it's a great saying, and I want you to explain this because I'm a bit uh, fuzzy on this. There's this big sun out there. I only know it in miles because when I learned it, it was in miles, so I can't convert it to kilometres. It's 93 million miles away. Yes. Uh, I'll believe you on that one. <laughs> I don't know kilometres. <laughs> it is so hot. Yeah. At 93 million miles, we can lie on the earth and cook ourselves. Yes. But that's got nothing to do with climate change, Rodney. <laughs> and this sun, what is it? It's a thermonuclear explosion or fusion explosion. It's just continuously enraged in this astonishing process that is a little up and down. Yes, it has a heartbeat. Tell us about this. So um, I follow a very clever scientist called Valentina Zarkova, and she has calculated mathematically this grand solar minimum. So she doesn't put it into a model and hope that something comes out the other side that may happen. I have seen the maths she has done on it, and I am no mathematician, and boy, I'd hate to try and do it. She has mathematically calculated this grand solar minimum from 2020 to 2053. And she says that the sun has a heartbeat, and it's very interesting with all of her calculations that you can, on a, on a piece of paper, you could see that um, the activity of the sun increases for hundreds of years, and it would look like a ball on a piece of paper, and then it decreases, and it comes down to a very, very fine point, and that's where you get a minimum, a solar minimum, and then it would increase again, and then it would decrease. So it's like the sun is awakening and going to sleep, awakening and going to sleep. 
just like its own little heartbeat. And this, and we, sorry, just to interrupt, no, this no. cycle in the sun isn't controversial, right? No, no. She's, she, she's got her own particular analysis of it, but we have known for decades. Yes, it's known about. It is a cycle that happens every 400 years, a grand yeah. solar minimum, and there yeah. are smaller cycles every 11 years. Yeah. It's all known about. All known about, and the major explainer of climate. Yeah, yes, yes, because it, it affects the Earth's magnetic field, which then affects everything else and um, changes the jet stream, the ozone layer, all sorts of different things which, which then change our climate. And in human-recorded history, we know of warm periods and cold periods. Yeah. Warm periods when they grew grapes in Scotland. Yes. And cold periods when the Thames froze. Yes. And they correlate to the sun, the sun cycle. Yes, they do. They do. They correlate with um, grand solar minimums or um, solar maximums. So a solar maximum is when it's warmer or we get more sunspots, which makes the planet warmer, and then solar minimums, where we get less sunspots, the sun essentially kind of goes to sleep, and we get generally cooler periods. Mm. And it's all written in history, and it seems to repeat itself over and over at these same times. Funny enough, I'm guessing, I just had this thought to sort of make it dramatic. If we didn't have the sun there, I'm guessing we'd be at minus 272 degrees Celsius. Yeah, we'd we'd be a um just a ball of ice. <laughs> Dead yeah. as a doorknob. Yeah. But the sun has nothing to do with it. It's all no, no, nothing whatsoever, even though you could get a basketball that could be the sun, and you get a pin, and the earth is the pinhead next to that. Yeah. And to get the proportions, but the sun has nothing to do with it. And um, if you're on the dark side of the moon, you're pretty cold. Yeah. Um, it's so, and by the way, this lady who you follow with her equations, she's got a prediction about what's happening for the next few decades. Yes, she has calculated it out that it will, this will, um, this minimum will only be, she says only be three solar cycles, three 11-year cycles, so 30 years. It doesn't mean that we'll pop out at the end immediately warmer again because, of course, these things happen gradually. Um, and she has calculated this. Some other scientists have said it may go for another three cycles, so it could possibly go for 60 years, but she's calculated this could be this will be a 30-year, which, funnily enough, isn't it interesting they say these dates? She has calculated from 2020 to 2053 we will be in this minimum. And all the CO2, climate change, people see we, say we need to do all of this and change all of that and go all solar and do things by 2050. Mm. So she's saying we're going to go colder. Yes. And Jim. that we, we are going colder now. Yes, we are. We we are. We had a, a pause of temperature in the 90s, which is why they stopped using global warming and started climate change because it's all in the words, because they couldn't use the global warming anymore because we were 
housing and we are in a cooling phase. We, we're dropping temperature. It's one of the most interesting things when you dig into this, um, and listeners probably done this, and you get into a discussion with someone before they walk away angry about COVID. <laughs> and you get into all this sort of, what's the, the weeds of it? Like, well, how do they know that person died? <laughs> These people died of COVID, right? Yeah. Because an old person dies and they have to record that they think they had COVID. And then the newspaper reports another COVID death. And you get so interested, like I do, I'm terrible. I got so interested in realizing um, it is when an old person dies, it's not obvious particularly what was the thing that triggered the death. That's right. Um, could have been a flu. It could have been a for, any, for anything. But it all became down to COVID statistics. And people were dying in their 80s and 90s, and they were scaring us with the numbers of deaths. And then you get into things like um, the PCR tests and how you can get false positives. Mm-hmm. And um, and then you start thinking further and reading experts, and it gets so interesting because then suddenly um, you're sick, but you don't know it unless you have a test. And Yes, yes. Um, it's not <laughs> obvious. Like, obviously, you could get cancer and not know that it's coming. Mm-hmm. But typically, when you get the flu, you bloody know when you get yes, the you flu. Yes, you do. And then you get into that, and there's all these little things that you start researching. And then there's this thing um, you could be spreading this disease, but not be sick. <gasps> and you're thinking, because that was the scary bit, right? Yes. Well, yes, for those who believed it. Yeah, but the idea that you can be without symptoms and then spread it. I'm just mm-hmm. going through the analogy here. Yes, yeah. And then I stick this shit into my arm, excuse me, <laughs> and it takes over cells in my body and starts producing a little protein structure of this virus that's supposed to be a killer. And yeah. don't worry, it'll just stay in your arm. And yes, no, we've just invented this in the last few months. And no, it's safe and it'll work. And it'll, and you're thinking, this is preposterous. Yeah. But every one of those analogies exists in climate change. Yes. Because one of the things that I spent, there's that wonderful Anthony Watts, who I followed religiously for years, and he was an expert on weather stations. Okay. And I had no idea, because you tend to think that you know what the Earth's temperature is historically. Yeah. But we we don't. You know, we're no. sort of measuring it by proxy. So when you're a geologist, you're measuring it by tree rings or something like that to work out what yeah. the temperature was thousands of years ago or core samples or whatnot. Yes. And in the last 150 years, say, I think it's 150 years, we've had thermometers. But they don't give you a 0.5 reading. No, (laughs) no. And it depends where they put them as well. Where they've put them? 
there's yes. some old guy going out. Is he doing it every day at 9 a.m.? And then, um, as you say, they tend to be next door to cities that are growing and creating an urban island effect, heating mm-hmm. the atmosphere. They tend to be by airports. And then you realize that they fiddle with the numbers to make up for all of that. And then the whole thing comes down to the fiddle. And even then, on the official records, all the warming occurred before in the last 150 years, before World War II. Then, as you say, it cooled after World War II, to the best of our knowledge, given the shonky measurements. Oh, and of course, these weather stations aren't spread uniformly around the earth. No, they used to be. There used to be more than there are now, and they've just quietly removed them. Yeah, it's crazy stuff. The, the, the whole idea of an Earth's temperature, and then they've got satellites which are uh, doing a better uh, measure, I think, since the 70s. But what they show is that it's propos- it's not happening. And so now they've got to argue, God, it's all coming back to me, that it's all the heat is disappearing into the ocean somehow. <laughs> And you're looking at this, and it is so preposterous, and yet on and on the propaganda goes. And so when I'm meeting people, they just absolutely believe it. Now, what can you say to them? There's nothing you can say to them, actually, is there? No, no, I actually don't really try because it's like putting 10 years of joining dots into one conversation and it's too hard to do you just have to oh it's like okay i just have to wait until one day something will happen that you will see it yourself the truth has to be realized it can't be told and you think that's true for covid yes for sure yes you can try all you like um and be as logical and have the proof of everything and People are just going to have to see it for themselves. I don't know. Will there be a point where they will trip themselves up, these people, with climate and COVID? I don't know. But it's. And then, and then you look and you sent me your wonderful presentation. And then you look at what they're proposing to do to fight so called climate change. Yes. Or man induced catastrophic climate change (laughs) and it's as mad as locking nana up oh yes or as keeping your was it two meters or three meters i can't remember watch and put a mask on your face to go out and stay indoors and don't go swimming to the beach or it's as mad as it growing trees this is my favorite one growing trees and burying them in the sea yeah uh, all you can do is laugh, but I, I don't. But people don't believe it. Or Bill Gates has got an idea and funding something that you fly planes around in the atmosphere and spray chemicals. Yes, yes. You dim the sun and make it like a sunset all the time. <laughs> but the scary thing is, what what they're doing is going to make the grand solar minimums affect worse and maybe faster. Mm. And you get 
big multinational companies, I mean, this is happening now, buying up land in New Zealand that's productive for food. Yeah. Growing pine trees mm-hmm. at a huge loss, destroying livelihoods and communities. They buy them out. Yeah. But only able to do that because of government subsidies. Yes, yes. And then these multinational companies can say, we're carbon neutral. Mm. But again, it's, people, oh, I can't, oh, it just. That is the, that is, honestly, Joe, that is insane. It is insane. And people still believe it. And I just say to them, but they're taking away your food. Where are you going to get your food from while it's all covered in trees? While you're still believing the planets, you're going to fry and die. And, and, oh, I don't know. and here's another thing, right? There is no way. Well, first of all, the objective. Being carbon neutral is the stupidest goal yes. that anyone has ever proposed. Because we are organic. Yes. And we, what's the level? What's the neutral level? <laughs> and what, what is that? There is absolutely no way that you can work out how much carbon dioxide has been you produced to make a pencil. Yes. Like, you don't even know no one knows all the bits that go into a pencil. No. Right? And we have it that the government can say, oh, yes, this pencil is carbon neutral <laughs> or this product and tick, right? Yeah. We are being so lied to. Oh, Openly to our faces, and that's what I don't understand. How these people who don't see it still don't see it? They are saying it to your face. It's so absurd. And I think, yeah, the 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 COVID thing helped to push that along. That absurdity that people just believe everything now. You and I are going to get cancelled. They're coming for us, right? I know. I did. <laughs> say, I, I have. Now, I have said before. Look out my presentation. If I disappear, you know why. <laughs> yes, I'm not feeling suicidal. Um, no. Now, think of this. We have the most beautiful, wonderful farmers. Yes. I love farmers. I love their families. I love the communities. And I love everyone that works around them. I struggle with people who don't produce. Yeah. Particularly if they're in HR, government departments, mm-hmm. councils, wangos, commissions, and in the professional fields, so much of what accountants and lawyers are doing 
is government make work. Mm-hmm. Anti-money laundering, measuring environmental impacts. And we're all living atop of a farmer, his or her family, and their community. Yes, yes. And so it's a scary thing as to why they're coming for the farmers. Because if they underpin it all and they're gone, where do the rest of people go? Just look at what Silent and Mel did. What is happening is they're destroying the farmers. Yeah. And we have to understand that. Yes. And you sound you sound mad when you say it. Yes. Because you think, nah, they just care about the planet and they're thinking long term and climate change. And this is this these governments and these agencies and the UN and all the hangers-on, WEF and all that, that are doing these crazy reports about how we must live. Uh, destroying our way of life. Yes. Do you see that? Is that what you see? Oh, definitely. Oh, yes. Um it really, and again, I just don't understand how people don't see it. They've been so far removed from nature that you can't survive unless you produce something. I, I have a, I have a, I have a sort of theory, um, which is a low-level conspiracy theory, really. But when I say conspiracy, I mean that there's a People meet and conspire. Mm-hmm. Oh and yes, pe- yes. Pe- if people... you're not in a conspiracy theory, you should start <laughs> in a conspiracy. You should start one. Yeah, because people meet and conspire about what how they think the world should be. Yeah, and some people have the ear of governments and the media, but the one thing, if you look at recent history in New Zealand and the West, has been to undermine our independence. Yes. And to make us believe that we can't thrive and prosper without government help. That's right. We've been taught um, not really to grow up, as someone else I, I follow who says we are just constantly behaving like children. We're infantilized. And yes. people need to actually grow up because and we you don't see, really there's like you on your farm. Yeah. With the house and sheds that you and your husband built. Yeah. But the rest of us think, oh, we'd need to get that checked by government. Yes. Right. Oh, we couldn't do that without help. And like we understand welfare dependency doing that. But we've actually got to the point where we can't move unless an official by law has checked the boxes. That's right, and yes. And that's I, my, my low-level theory is, is that farmers and farming communities and farming families are the very definition of independence. Exactly, yes. Always, and, 
And that is why in history, the farmers have always been the ones they come after mm -hmm. because and they are the very essence of what it is to, to be human, to live with nature. And we have literally demonized them. Yeah, just as they did in the in during the last grand solar minimum with the witch trials. They were blamed yes. on the climate. The farmers are now the modern day witches, I I say. Yes. And so farming is polluting our waterways. Yep. It is destroying our nitrogen. It is draining, they, it was draining swamps, it was creating these monocultures. Farming is bad. Terrible, terrible. And, and the farmers have done so much, but nobody comes out to actually have a look and see. Nope. And you have these infantilized civil servants yep. sipping their lattes with their laptops, poo-pooing what in America they called the deplorables. Yes. And what in New Zealand we called the river of filth. And thinking that you're sort of stupid and dumb and Neanderthal-like. Neanderthal -like. And just... now farming is pollutant because it produces methane. Yeah, which has nothing to do with anything as well. But it's I just, of, just it's part I of kind the of carbon cycle. Exactly. I smile at those people who sit there with their lattes. We have good friends who live in one of our biggest cities and have known us as farmers all our lives and still think we are bad people. Um, and I just sit there and think, hmm, your time will come because um, at least I'm going to still have food through this and where are you going to get yours from and I've got the skills to produce and make my own if I have to but where are you going to get yours from and that's all really that I can think because you can't again we've spoken you can't change their minds they think you're a low life but I, I I'm not offended by that I just sit there and 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 I do laugh to myself and think yeah you couldn't survive if you really really had to when that time comes, I oh, love I yeah. I love I love uh, farmers. My my father was like a small time farmer, and um, at times, and then uh, sadly, he got very sick as a young man and had to sell the his small lot, and he oh. drove trucks all his life. But he drove trucks for farmers. Oh yes, and so. Um, I was brought up loving it and it was the resilience of farmers and farming communities. That's right. Yes. More than their skill. Yes. Because something breaks down and a farmer in those days just couldn't get on the phone and someone pop out and fix it. Yep. A farmer would. Yes. Or they'd figure a workaround. Yes. You know, they were amazingly resilient. Yes, because you can't just up and run away. You've got no. animals that rely on you. You've got your property that relies on you. And up here on the mountain, 
when we first moved here, we had eight weeks of continuous rain and wind like I've never seen. The mountain kind of introduces you to it and tests you when people first move up here. And my late partner was a townie and he wanted to put the place back on the market because he just could not get through that bad weather. He couldn't, he wasn't resilient enough. But when the sun came out, everything changed. And that's, you just can't run. You, you've got to stay and do it, which builds that resilience. I should add that Joe Mackey, you're on Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. We're having a Real Talk with Joe Mackey, her husband, which she developed her farm, small farm with, passed away. And um, you're not a person to dwell on life's tragedies, but we feel for you, Joe. No, thank you. But that also, too, with farming, you can't lie to yourself. No. Isn't that a big thing? Yes. Nature's out there and nature, you you can't. People, they try. There are farmers that try. And a lot of it, again, um, it's all the numbers and, you know, things have to look good and you have to look good to that farmer and you want to climb the ladder and be the best farmer and da-da-da. So there are those living in not the real world on their own farms. Um, but nature always wakes you up in the end and you you do get, it catches up with you eventually. So you don't have that certitude about what you know and what you, what you know and how good you are that in a city dweller working in an office building has. Yeah. Yes, because you don't know what's going to come around the corner. There is always something new and you think, oh, everything's brilliant. And then out of the blue, mm. you no know, floods, so, whatever. Oh dear. There's a humility. Yes. Yes. But I think we had a better country, uh, obviously 50 years ago. Yeah. And in part it may have been that our politicians were all farmers. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yes. Real people understood how, how how things worked. Yes. And unfortunately, yeah, there's we're becoming few and far between around the world now. If you had someone listening who was thinking, gee, these guys are mocking and taking the mickey out of climate change and us what we have to do and sign up for, i.e. come under tyrannical control mm -hmm. in order to defeat climate change. I had, I read in 1992 um, a book on climate change and it had a, a preface by the late Professor Aaron Valdosky and he was a professor of public policy at Berkeley. And it was a very evocative preface and he was a very distinguished uh, professor. Funnily enough, I think the book may have been by Richard Lindzen, who I hadn't really heard of. Or I went on to meet him. He was a great climate, he is a great climate change um, skeptic and probably okay. the most published um, climate change person. But Anvil Dosky said this. Can you imagine? This is 1992. He said, with global warming, as it was then called, the environmentalists have hit. I don't know whether he used the word the mother load or 
gold or um, pay dirt. Okay. Because he said, if you can convince people yep. that you have to control CO2, you control everything. Yes, because it is the gas of life. It is the gas of life. It's a gas of industry. Yeah. Yes. And it's worked. When I read that, I was shocked. Yes. I knew I knew it was preposterous, right? By then. What's that 30 years ago? And yet he was foreseeing that this was a clever move. Yeah. Which tells you what is this about? It's about tyrannical control. Yeah. There's no other explanation. And exactly. um, um if you if you wanted, if you're listening to this and you're thinking, whoa, you know, this is how do I get to understand how this is a uh, a stack of cards? What would you recommend people do that are listening to read or to go to on the internet, do their own research? Where would they go? Um, well, um, probably one of the best books is by Ian Plymer, P-L-I-M-E-R. Yes. And he's an Australian geologist. You would have heard of him. Yes, and of his course. book, How to Get Expelled from School, is a very <laughs> <laughs> it's fantastic, especially for school kids and their parents. Um, and it's the basics of the bullshit of climate change. And he has done another book that's very detailed with that. But um, yes, so that book's a good I'm, one to start with. I'm going to get that book. I. I've got my kids into so much trouble. There's a, an American book, so quite expensive, about the Tuttle Twins. And it's, oh, yes. a, it's a series of books written by a libertarian on free market economics for kids. And it sort of distills the work of Milton Friedman and Hayek and von Mises um, down into these little stories that are kids' stories. And a friend, I say friend in quotation marks after this, sent these books off to my kids and they read them and loved them, right? Oh, man, did they get into trouble at school? <laughs> because <laughs> my little girl was at school and they were all doing posters and the teacher had them campaigning against um, child labour, right? Yeah. And my little girl's and she says, but hang on, isn't the problem poverty? And everyone said, what do you mean? Well, if you stop buying things that are made by kids, um, how are they going to, their family's going to survive? Yeah. And then she explained that in the England and even in New Zealand in the early days, when you were poor, your children had to work. Yes, yes. And imagine. have always worked on farms as well. Imagine if you said back in 1800, I'm not going to buy anything made with child labour. How would that help, she said. And she got a very, very stony silence. So. I understand the title, How to Get Your Kid from School. And there's actually 100 questions in the back of the book that he's written that you can ask your teacher at school and wind them up. Any teacher. Yeah. 
So well, well, the other famous question my daughter asked recently last year was, we watched the great Matt Walsh documentary on what is a woman. Oh, yes. And they were getting their health lessons and they were explaining how you can switch genders because there's gender identity and then there's biology, which no farmer would believe. Oh, I know. <laughs> and my daughter did the Matt Walsh question and she said, so that chook laying in here could really be a rooster. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, do you have to get your kid expelled from school? Joe Mackey, I hope people don't mind that you and I have engaged more in a conversation because of my enthusiasm than an interview. Yes, no, it's fantastic. But we've enjoyed the conversation. Yeah. I hope our listeners have. And do email me and tell me off. Um, <laughs> but it's been a wonderful time and we've covered a lot of ground. Yeah. So thank you for that. And no, thank, thank you. you for being a farmer. Thank you. Producing the wealth of New Zealand. And we admire your resilience because you milk your cow and drink the milk and make yes, the cheese. Make the cheese and make the butter, yes. You make butter? Yes. And Is that geese. hard? No, it's just time consuming, but I've got you, all the equipment. You don't do it by hand? Um, I do um, I do make the butter by hand. I've got a cre- an electric cream separator, but I do okay. spin the butter in an old, I went to an antique shop and got a butter churn. Wow. And I do that by hand, yes. Well, we can't secure raw milk where we live, and we're very upset because our kids grew up for 10 years on raw milk, and they're extremely healthy, and we put it down to that every day, having that beautiful milk. Um, Yeah, definitely. Not the the rubbish at the supermarket. Another thing they've just removed from us, yes. Yeah, and they prosecuted the farmers that were selling us the milk who were doing their utmost to comply with the regulations. Yeah. Tell me, do you make sourdough? Um, I not all the time. I try. It's I did that was one of the first things I started doing to become independent was make my own bread. And sometimes my sourdough doesn't always work. So I just make normal bread most of the time because I'm probably more busy now as the farm's yes. growing. And I'm also a trail angel for the Tiaroa Trail. So um I'm busy with walkers over the summertime and and so there's a lot going on that the sourdough just, if it doesn't work, goes out the window. Oh, well, I'm an expert on sourdough. Are you? Oh, yes. well, we need I, to swap I, then. I, I need, I, we should do a show where you interview me about sourdough and I'll talk for hours. Yes. Okay, Joe. You're on uh, Reality Check Radio. It's Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. Again, um, I guess that was more of a conversation than an interview, for which I apologise, but Joe was very engaging. And I was engaged probably too much, you know. <laughs> you can send me a text at 2057. You can send me an email inbox at realitycheck.radio. And what a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful woman and what wonderful people we have in New Zealand. Um, and prepared to speak out. You're listening to Real Talk on RCR, Reality Check Radio.
You're on Reality Check Radio. It's Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. And please send me a text 2057 or email me at inbox at reallycheck.radio. Well, I read this in the newspaper and I couldn't believe it. So I went and found the decision of the tribunal, the Teachers Disciplinary Tribunal. And it's true. In fact, when I read the tribunal decision, it's even a little worse than the paper presented. So a teacher, he's a math teacher, he got charged with serious misconduct as a teacher. He's a math teacher, he had a, and a Christian, and by all intents and purposes, a very good man. But his problem is this, he had a student in his class, by the way, don't you love this? The tribunal said what he had in his class was a learner, not a student, a learner. And I guess he's not the teacher, he's the facilitator. But no, he had a learner in the class, what we call a student. And this 14-year-old girl told the school that she was transitioning female to male. And therefore, she was to be called by her male name, new male name, instead of her original female name. Now, this teacher said that because he was a Christian, he did not accept that she could change her sex. <laughs> this is the start of the problem. And so a complaint was made against the teacher. And so he resigned. But, and I don't quite understand this, there was a mandatory report made to the teaching council. And then he was charged. He was ch charged by the Complaints Assessment Committee. And he was charged that he had failed to respect the identity of a learner by refusing to call a learner by their preferred name and pronouns. So that's serious misconduct. He wouldn't acknowledge that this girl was now transitioning to a boy and was to be called a boy. So under the Act, the tribunal looked at this and they were required to see one of these three or all of these three, one, adversely affects or is likely to adversely affect the well-being or learning of one or more children. Two, reflects adversely on the teacher's fitness to be a teacher and or may bring the teaching profession into disrepute. And in assessing this, they looked at it from the point of view of the criteria, which was emotional abuse that causes harm or is likely to cause harm to a child or young person. And an act or omission that brings or is likely to bring the teaching profession into disrepute. Well, they went through the process and they decided that this teacher was guilty as charged. That yes, serious misconduct had occurred. Now I'm jumping through to try and find where all this is concluded because I want to, yes, here we go to their decision. As a specialist tribunal, 
oh, they're so important, we have no hesitation in coming to the view that the conduct that has occurred is serious misconduct. All the limbs of the test are met because the student says, quote, it hurt my feelings, though, and I was uncomfortable with him. Yeah. And because of that, clearly it reflects badly on his fitness as a teacher, and clearly it reflects badly on teaching and brings it into disrepute. Guilty as charged of serious misconduct as a teacher. So not only did he have to resign, not only did he have to resign, they cancelled his teaching certificate. So this teacher can never teach again in a New Zealand school. Can't teach in a religious school, Christian school, Muslim school. Who, I have no doubt, agree with him. Here's what they say. The tribunal is left with the firm view that Mr. So-and-so is not, we don't know who he is, is not fit to be a teacher. The conduct on its own calls this into serious question. Determining it, however, is that Mr. So-and-so maintains his position that it was appropriate to treat the learner in this way. Well, of course, because he's right. So we now order that his teaching certificate be can cancelled and he has to pay costs of $5,668.91. That's for the complaints assessment commission or whatever. And the tribunal costs, he's got to contribute $582. Do you know the way I look at that? There was only one person in this whole scenario that was looking after that student. And that was the teacher who they fired from ever being a teacher again. And he was looking after the student by telling them the truth. And the truth is this. A young girl can never be a young boy, ever. Every cell of their body, every fiber of their being is girl. That's the biology of it. You can't think yourself into being a boy. Full stop. Everyone else in this whole sordid, tawdry little saga is going on affirming this poor girl thinking that she can be a boy. In fact, she's been taught that by the school. She can't. It's not possible. I can understand when she's an adult. She might quite like to dress up and feel like a woman and be a, tra uh, no, a boy, sorry, put on a suit. I've got no problem with that. But she's still a girl, not a boy, 
she's still a woman, not a boy, not a man. Because it's a fundamental difference when the sperm hits the egg. It's determined. It's decided. Every cell in your body. She's XX and a boy is XY. And he was telling her the truth. Everyone else was lying to her, saying, oh, yes, you can be a boy. And that naughty teacher over there, he thinks you can't. How discriminatory and awful is that, that he says you can't? <gasps> we'll get rid of him out of the school. We'll hound him out of the school. And we'll hound him out of the educational profession. And when they go to the act, they said he adversely affected or was likely to adversely affect this girl's well-being. Actually, I think it was everyone else that's been affecting her well-being by suggesting it's her choice to be a boy and that she can choose that. He's the one shining light. That it reflects adversely on the teacher's fitness to be a teacher. They found that it did. No. When I read this, I think everyone else shows themselves not fit to be a teacher because they're teaching pubescent or girls just going through puberty or just through puberty that, yes, they can be a boy if they choose to. That's child abuse. Absolute child abuse. I've got nothing against trans people. Nothing. You choose, you can live that life. No problem. But you're still trans. You're not a woman, you're not a man, you can't just choose that. You can be a man who feels a woman and like to be a woman, and you're a trans woman, not a woman. But leave our kids alone. Don't teach our kids that it's a choice thing. Like, what top will I wear? What shoes shall I wear? What hairstyle shall I wear? Oh, should I be a boy or a girl? Those that are teaching that and thinking that that's true, they're the ones that are adversely affecting uh, the teaching profession. And the third one, they're the ones bringing the teaching profession into disrepute. The one teacher in all of this that was teaching this pupil and standing up for what's true and right, they're the one. They got hounded out of the school and thrown out of the teaching profession. Well, I'm pleased our teacher is a Christian. I wish we had more Christians in our schools. And I know when he faces judgment, he will be kindly judged. I'm not so sure about everyone else. This is real talk.
with Rodney Hyde. You're on Reality Check Radio. You're listening to Real Talk on RCR, Reality Check Radio. You're on Reality Check Radio. It's Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. Oh, and my favourite little part of the show is mailbag time. Remember, you can send me a text at 2057 or email me at inbox at realitycheck.radio. Here we go from Kinsley. Good work with him. Shame non-thinking politicians are holding back on such potential. Well, we're learning that, aren't we? Push the building benefits. Replace. Big need for pine, jibboard and cement and insulation. Hempcrete. Hempcrete. Deals to CO2 four times more effectively than pine trees. Is fireproof, vermin-proof, warm, acoustic benefits, stronger than concrete, can be grown organically, benefits all it's grown in. Could be on every farm. Well, we're learning such a lot. Hey, great show, Rodney and Mac. Oh, Mac was great, wasn't he? Enjoying your show, Rodney. Entertaining and informative. Thank you. From Lynn. Nice. Thank you, Lynn. From Damien. Rodney, the birth certificates of the legal fiction. Yep, I've been told that. I don't understand it, but you know what I mean. I accept that. Hi, Rodney. I absolutely love listening to you. Wow. I like you listening, and thank you for your kind note. Uh, in fact, I hate it when I miss you. Wally is definitely my favorite segment. And now that you're looking into hemp too, my daughter has used MedCan. It must be medical cannabis, I guess, for eight years. So I, I've been awake to the hemp possibilities too. We need to be using it more. Keep it up. Much love, Karen. Thank you, Karen. Uh, spot on, Rodney. That's nice. Well, I don't know what I was spot on about, but something. Joseph, another sacred cow long in need of slaughtering should be herbicide at Atrazan, A-T-R-A-Z-I-N-E, Atrazan, banned in Europe for being a carcinogenic, still sprayed liberally on New Zealand food crops. Scientific studies on frogs, etc., showed that they become gay <laughs> and their genders were biologically affected. Oh, well, that might explain a lot. Which reduced their fertility. Only minute traces of Atrazan can cause biological changes to gender and homosexual tendencies. A very difficult conversation to have with people as immediately you'll be criticised as homophobic, but that's not the point. Why are people all over the world becoming forced to slowly become gay and have their gender? I'm sorry to laugh, it's just that I just never made a connection. And have their genders altered if they eat regular supermarket food? Why is there complete science about this? You'll have to play some Elton John, etc., to ensure that you're not homophobic. But I think. <laughs> I'm sorry. That's a good one. <laughs> so we'll talk about Atrazan and what it does to frogs, and we'll play Elton John. Joseph, you're the best. That's the best note. Thank you so much. I'm still laughing. I'm trying not to laugh. You'll have to play. <laughs> You'll have to play some Elton John to ensure that you're not homophobic. But I think we need disclosure on this. Why did Europe ban Atrazan, but Clean Green New Zealand doesn't with cancer skyrocketing? Oh, well, we'll get the Elton John records out. We'll play Rocket Man, and we'll look into someone, hopefully, will email me or text me that knows about Atrazan and even how to pronounce it. Here's Mike. I get what you're saying about the new medical system, that is the apartheid system we're running, but you need to call it what it is. It's racism brought on by 50-odd years of gentle grooming by the Maori agenda and then the great push of the last 25 to 30 years from the treaty lives. 
You still also call the MPs right honourable members, and I don't believe that there's one honourable MP in that den of vipers in Wellington. It's sad this is not the country that I grew up in, and I'll stop believing that bit can be fixed. Cheers, Mike. Amen. Do that, Mike. Uh, forgive my ignorance, but Rodney, I thought all claims and settlements were done and dusted years ago. No more. I'm confused. We're all up in topical again. Was there a line drawn in the sand years ago? I'm new to all of this. Was it Helen Clark who said all settled and no more claims? I'm concerned about race-based things too. We don't talk politics and family, so I'm an old bugger thinking things were okay and now finding they're not. I've got a lot to learn and quick. Was that all repealed or something? Is it just a memory from past coming forward? I believe all settlements done and dusted and no more claims. Has it come up all again? Well, they were never done and dusted. We've been claim after claim after claim, and it's just going to keep going and get more extreme. Uh, yeah. You heard it right because we were to do those settlements and then that would be it, full and final, we were told. And now we're more divided and more racist than we've ever been. Hi, Rodney, love to show. Gosh, what a fascinating, wonderful, knowledgeable and interesting man Mac is. Amen to that. He truly is something. I could use many more adjectives. adjectives. He should wear a cape. What a true action man and humble with it. Absolutely remarkable and rare. I hope you interview him again. One thing I'd be interested to know is if any of his children are like him. He's exactly the kind of can-do madness this country needs. I agree. And funnily enough, I've learned who his son is. And his son has a remarkable talent. And I'm going to try and get Mad Max's son on. And you'll love what you learn about him. Stay tuned for more. I've made another small donation to RCR today on behalf of my mother's birthday. She would have loved listening to you, Paul and Peter especially. Thank you for the entire RCR team. Well, thank you, Sandra, and thank you for the contribution. That is so sweet. And we'll get Mad Max son on. I'll do my utmost. Dear Rodney, just wanted to thank you for your political talk with Tane today and acknowledging the protesters to Parliament. I can't express how important it is that you acknowledged how amazing that protest was and how correct we were in our behaviours and beliefs. Big respect to you. Well, thank you. And thank you for being part of the protest. Hi, Rodney. We bought the spouter from Bunnings and the magic botanical liquid, secret strawberry and my, my how do you pronounce it? My Corazon from Wally. We can't find where to buy bulk micro seeds. You mentioned that you bought in bulk. Can you share a link or lead? I will send that to you. Shane, no problem. I'll email you directly. I uh, love the show, especially the way Wally says New Zealand. Classic. Oh, we've got some classic people coming on the show, haven't we? It's just too gorgeous for words. And you know what? I've got some stored up in the cloud that are coming up, and you're going to truly love them. So keep staying tuned, everyone. You've heard the words open, fair, both sides of the story, it's easy to say them, but practicing them often seems like a bridge too far. New Zealand, it's time for a reality check. Reality check. RCR, Reality Check Radio. Rational discussion, common sense, and open debate for real. 
with me, Paul Brennan. You know, you just can't make this stuff up. You couldn't write the script. Veteran broadcaster Peter Williams. Where is the evidence they actually make a difference? It turns out that was a very fair question to ask. Taking on the mainstream, Chantel Baker. Mainstream media, as usual, in their little perch. The man who cares so much and whose background is for real, Rodney Hyde. The doctors don't believe them. They can't get ACC. They can't work. They're told it's all in their head. Along with a raft of contributors to inform, entertain and bring the truth back to New Zealand media. It's time for a reality check, all right. RCR, Reality Check Radio at www.realitycheck.radio. We've arrived. Here on Reality Check Radio, it's Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. What a show. We heard from Chris Woodney from the hemp industry. Uh, what an amazing story he had to say. It's like hard to believe this is New Zealand, like you could make a movie out of this stuff. And then the wonderful Joe Mackey, geologist, talking, well, both of us were talking, but it was more of a conversation uh, about climate change and the madness, the absolute madness and insanity of it. And yet here we are. And uh, what a wonderful woman. So I hope you enjoyed the show. Please send me a text at 2057. I do love receiving your uh, feedback or an email at inbox at realitycheck.radio. And what a remarkable community we have. Just Every week I think, oh, I wonder who I'm going to have for the radio. Maybe I'll run out. The well will dry up. There's no one left for me to interview. And these people keep coming along. And for me, it's not just the topic they're talking about, but it's them that is so interesting. We are truly blessed uh, to have so many wonderful people amongst us. And we're truly blessed to have Reality Check Radio and to be able to meet them, hear their story, and learn from them and be inspired from them thank you for being with me today and joining in the wonderful discussion that we can have now on reality check radio you've been listening to real talk with rodney hyde on rcr reality check radio